Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. <laughs> Bring it down a little bit over there, Tom. It's Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Um, I'm Justin. Hey, guys. That, that, that's a little bit more the, the, the tone. We're hanging. Yeah. We're, we're all doing drugs. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll get into it. It's, we're, it's relevant. Caffeine is a hell of a drug. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on dopamine from being around my dopey friend. No, Justin. Yeah, I resent that. Yeah, I really do. That's did very you hurtful. do drugs this weekend, Justin? I did. Whoa, allegedly. I did do drugs. Where's what the kind? air horn? What's going on with the effects? Oh, I forgot to load it into the card again. I did drugs. do drugs. Guys, listen, I'm addicted. Okay, what'd you do? I'm addicted to riffs. Nice. Didn't see that coming. I've been doing riffs. I've been doing hard riffs, and I've been also doing soft riffs. Okay. Okay. I did a riff the other day that shot me into the stratosphere. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I did a riff that brought me back down. Nice. So do I sound like a metal fan yet? You sound like you're on drugs. Yeah. Tom, <laughs> what did you do this weekend? I don't have much to report. I, I got a new mouse and keyboard and uh, bought the largest mouse pad I could. Uh, that's what about the fuck? <laughs> Every time I talk to you, you buy a new computer. You're always buying new shit. No, this is a, uh, per- this is a peripheral. This is a peripheral for my new computers. I, I um, mean, so I, I have I am dealing with carpal tunnel because I am at the computer for yeah. hours and hours. Oh. So I got a vertical mouse. Oh. That means that I'm, I'm shaking... Tunnel. A plastic hand. Yeah. You know, they used uh, TNT uh, drilled into mountains to create those tunnels uh, back in the day. Yeah, but now I got them in my hands and my pinky's been going numb, which, you know, a lot of guitar players suffer from. I believe yeah. uh, Kelly from Atheist was telling us that that's why he doesn't play guitar that's true. Yeah, live very... anymore. And uh, carpal tunnel is a real thing, so I want to, t- I want to tackle that before that's it gets true. a real issue. Very so very that's true. why I bought the new mouse. See, I, I had a really hard time changing my oil uh, this weekend. Uh, the oil filter wouldn't come off. I broke uh, two oil wrenches huh. from Home Depot, a Husky brand. What? Damn. Shout out to them. They bent like just uh, tinfoil butter knives uh, bent in my hands. Uh, I had to break out the old uh, drill, uh, drill it off. Yeah. Don't ask me how I did that. That was, your, that was your Jeep. Will, did you do any driving around your Jeep this weekend? Uh, well, I, I saw the, the nice little afterbirth guys. We had a little rehearsal. That's fun. Little death metal going on. We we uh we got a lot of things. Co- I wish I could talk at length about all the ideas. We got a lot of shit bubbling up. Uh, it's kind of like with this pandemic, all the ideas are just uh, uh, festering to the surface. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, very excited for Afterbirth. Uh, a lot going on on that front. Um, besides that, not much else. Uh, I did um, trip on DMT. Uh, yesterday, and I spent about six hours petting my cat and staring at a pane of glass uh, on the window. That's it beautiful. Was, yeah. Yeah, poetic, I, yes. No, uh, this is all alleged. No, it's it's not true. But um, I did listen to a whole lot of Sanguasugabog. Um, uh, drug forward. Mess, yes. Mm-hmm. As, uh, as we've been told. Um, a band that uh, often um, gets drilled, uh, you know, or, or drills other people with those enormous carnivorous erections that you see in their music videos yes mm. yeah um yeah uh respect to regurgitation yes uh, uh respect to regurgitate yeah they mm. like to come in your ears like i like to i've come on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> they got a cartoon uh a cartoon music video a new cartoon music video and they have an album coming out 
Uh, but that should be of no shock to our listeners. Sanguisugabog, uh, a band that has uh, meteorically skyrocketed to uh, Century Media uh, level fame yes. with their latest uh, uh, signing to Century Media Records. Um, we're going to talk moon. all about it today. We're going to get we're going to catch up with the uh, the history, the story, uh, the recordings, the drums, uh, the man. Yes. Cody Davidson of Sanguisugabog and Fix Your Face Records and all of his lovely gore grind projects. I love it. Hold on Sanguisugabog. whole podcast this is big will joined as always by my co-host justin and tom tonight our guest cody davidson uh known most notably right now as drummer of century media recording artist sanguis sugabog uh also a fix my face studio and a number of uh gore grind uh bands and projects that we're going to get into such as murder man did i get all that right sir yeah totally awesome uh, so before we get into, uh, you've been very busy last few years making some brutal music, and we want to get into all that and find out the latest with Sanguisugabog and your studio and your projects. Uh, but as you know, we always start at the beginning, Cody. So are are you originally uh, from Ohio? Yep. Uh, I live in Dayton right now, uh, born and raised Dayton, Ohio. I, I mean, technically I was born in Kettering, but it's like 10 minutes down the street. So uh, right now I'm in northern Dayton, Ohio. Yep. Okay, uh, any uh, musicians in your family? Yeah, um, my dad played guitar. He was really into, like, hair metal and stuff. Hmm. And um, I got a lot of hand-me-down shit from my dad. He definitely, like, kind of taught me my first few things for guitar. And, um, like, I got some, like, old Mesa Boogie amps that I've had since I was, like, a toddler. You know, they were just, like, always here. And it's really cool to, like, like, on my 18th birthday, my dad gave me his first guitar. It was, like, a rite of passage or something you know so wow. it's it? pretty cool but in my as far as my family history really not a lot at all um his dad was actually a pretty well-known like underground bluegrass record producer his name is ken davidson um i, I can't it, it was so long ago that i can't really give you like what the record label was called i don't really know but I remember like being at the funeral because um, he passed a few years ago and um, they were talking about more of that record label stuff. And I'd only heard tales like from my dad, you know, so huh. they actually played some of like the old bluegrass records he produced. And man, they're fucking insane. Like them all singing in harmonies were like so perfect, like more perfect than I've heard anyone sing. You know, it was, it was really, really interesting. But as far as like a musical background, that's really all I got. That, that's interesting um kind of an underground music connection from a different era yeah um yeah he was known for like getting in the hills of west virginia and like getting those fiddle players who don't normally get on record uh on rec recordings at all you know so it, it wasn't something that was like i don't know like i think it had like a short-lived kind of thing because uh my grandpa started going kind of crazy so um 
he was in and out of the mental hospital a lot. So um, up until then, you know, that's what he was up to. And because of that, like the artifacts from that, I don't have a lot of because it was when he was like really young. And my dad just told me about him getting like royalty checks and talking about, you know, like how he used to work with bluegrass and shit. But that's really all I know. That's int- that reminds me a little bit of that movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, where they're recording all the um, uh, the the artists and you know and the sticks and the country and everything. Um, yeah, it sounds like it. I, I haven't seen that, but uh, it, interesting movie. But uh, but but uh, Justin, uh, had, you know, it asked just a minute ago that that guitar that your uh, father gave you on your 18th birthday. What kind of guitar are we talking? Yeah, man, um, it's a 1984 Washburn Flying V, and it's like. It's like red violet. It's almost pink, and it's got cream binding. <laughs> and the headstock's really interesting. It's like, uh, 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 how do I explain it? I don't know. It's like, it's like a square, but at the top there's like a little dip, like a heart, like the top of a heart. You know, See, very interesting. Your dad uh, was headstock. not playing in the. Yeah, I'm saying it's like oh, it's yeah, playing yeah. solos all the time. Like, <laughs> no, it's just it He he was actually more of a rhythm player, but he like really wanted me to be a lead player so bad that like he would always have his friend steve come over uh steve travis and that was like my first original guitar teacher when i was like five years old so like my dad actually got me into playing guitar when i was like toddler so he got me like the epiphone flying v that's super small for my fourth birthday (laughs) on my fifth birthday i think he got me like a a kramer and i still have that guitar and there's actually pictures of me like in preschool with like playing the flying V and he, he's got me in like the ACDC get up, you know, <laughs> and I got like Timberlands on. It's very cool. Wow. Here you go, son. Fly. Yes. I'll give you the tools. Fly. You're going to be a little Angus. That's what you're going to be. <laughs> so yeah. we didn't even listen that much ACDC. I think we just thought it was cute. <laughs> So were uh, were your dad or, or any of his friends in any bands that we could look up? Anything of note? Did they record and release albums? Uh, no, not really. Um, that dude Steve, I actually started playing with him again. Uh, it was like I haven't talked to him in years, and uh, I like saw him at the VFW. He works at now because my nana passed away, and we had like a family gathering there. And um, yeah, it was weird. It was like the first time I ever seen him in like since i was like a little boy and like when i was a little boy my my uncle used to like throw concerts for me in the backyard it would just be like a cookout but i would be like in the back with my practice amp like playing ozzy osbourne and shit (laughs) and um yeah um fuck forget where i was going with that the uh well you're playing shows for your um uh your family members in the backyard and things like that and um well, well. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. So like, um, I, I started, I started uh, jamming with uh, my guitar teacher again because of that family reunion. And at that family reunion, I didn't know he was going to be there, but my family did know. So he brought a guitar, and I ended up playing for my family again at my nana's funeral. And it was very like stars aligned kind of moment. You know what I mean? That's what I was trying to get at. Huh. Um, That's rad, man. Yeah, it was pretty interesting because, like, my family, you know, like, uh, doesn't listen to me play guitar often, you know. So it was, like, me as a seven-year-old playing guitar, fast forward, like, 20 years, and then here I am playing a guitar for my family for the first time since I was a kid again, you know. And, um, yeah, like, I started I, – the reason I brought that up was to say that I started playing with my old guitar teacher again, and we started doing Van Halen cover songs where I was playing drums. 
And uh, the only thing I could say about him being in previous bands is right now he's in a band called Full Throttle, and they're like a '80s cover band. And uh, you know they're old guys. It's not something. It's not like especially cool, but it's pretty fun, you know. But yeah, as far as like anyone, as far as them playing in any famous acts, no. But I can tell you a little cool fun fact about that dude, Steve. Um, he was actually one of the youngest people to get accepted in a GIT which is Musicians Institute before it became Musicians Institute. So um, it's not like uh, it's not like he went on and succeeded and became a millionaire after that or nothing like that. But, you know, just some cool trivia. I guess he like stayed in the same hotel as David Lee Roth. So I've heard like stories about that. So he, uh, he, for a while. he allegedly might have caught an STD just from being <laughs> in the same building. <laughs> yeah, <no kidding. laughs> so. Well, uh, that that's interesting, man. So, I mean, obviously, we don't have to ask where metal comes in. And would yeah. you say it's like a natural progression for you to get into the more extreme side of metal as as you grow up? If you know your father's already there with the glam metal and the eighty stuff, buying you the guitars, uh, you know that sort of thing. So, when like hardcore, punk rock, thrash metal, death metal, is is that kind of a natural thing for you? Yeah, it is. For sure, um, but I've always gone about it in a roundabout way, not intentionally, and it's basically because Dayton is such a small town that I haven't been exposed to a lot. So a lot of like the heavy lifting has been done by myself, and in that way, it's very tailored to what I was into at that time, if that makes sense, you know. But I can say for sure, like, um, man, like when Dimebag died, because we're like from Ohio, you know, my dad was like torn, and he died in Ohio. Um, so when when he died my dad like put on pantera cowboys from hell and i was like seven or eight years old and he's like have you ever heard this and i'm like uh i mean i don't know you know and he's like fucking listen to this shit he cranks it all the way up you know and it's like we live in an apartment uh complex so like like i said i had all those mesa boogies in my house but i couldn't fucking play them i couldn't touch them we live in an apartment complex you know yeah so to see to see my dad that ecstatic about pantera was pretty exciting and obviously i got into pantera like right after that day you know and um he did give me like he was really into like burning cds um really early on so like he had a cd collection but he burnt them all so that i could like never scratch the originals you know so he would give me like smart uh, like like ksad sepultura was like a record in like third grade i'd be blasting every single day like um i remember like they would Put us in the gymnastics room or uh, the gymnasium sorry um in like third grade uh when it's raining outside to like go out uh i'm sorry man to fucking uh like get on the bus yeah do your recess stuff right well not the recess to get on the bus like because it would be raining so they wouldn't want the kids staying out in the rain so we'd like getting lines waiting on our bus and i remember like teachers telling me to turn my headphones down all the time because i had a portable cd player I would just have it like all the way to eleven with Chaos AD playing, you know. <laughs> so, so Pantera and Chaos AD. I mean, your dad's not just a glam guy. Your dad's kind of down. Yeah, kind of. But he he never like crossed into like like I would say Chaos AD Sepultura is like the most like the closest I got to death metal as a kid. And because of that, I like kind of just now like with Sangu Sugaba got into death metal, and it kind of like came in a really weird way, um, but. I don't know because you're asking i guess i'll you know elaborate a little bit better um when i first started playing it was all like hair metal right and like you know iron maiden ozzy osbourne 
Randy Rhodes. That was like my shit, you know, and that's all I ever wanted to do. So at a really early age, my dad got me into like reading guitar tablature and I'm actually like originally a guitar player. So me playing drums and singing with Sugabog is pretty wild, but it's really sick. And um, my, my guitar playing developed pretty quickly when I was a kid. So like in fourth grade, I have like a video of me playing Mr. Crowley and I'm playing like all the solos note for note, playing to like a back track. So there's like a keyboard as Ozzy's voice and stuff. It's pretty funny. And um, yeah, I was just like really into hair metal and stuff. But my dad, my dad's favorite band was like Dream Theater. And Dream Theater, for me, when he showed it to me, he it was basically like, you're not good until you get to this level. So because I had nobody to, to spar with, I thought like that's what good guitar players sound like, like wow. John Petrucci. Like I thought they all sounded like wow. that. So I immediately was like, okay, I got to get good, you know, like fast. So I started playing Iron Maiden, Ozzy Osbourne, and then like he took me to a Dream Theater concert when I was five. But I fucking, I fell asleep, so it's not uh. like I remembered it very much, but... <laughs> I do remember meeting the band and like they had to like ask John my young the bass player to come out just to meet me because I'm like a five-year-old so it's pretty special <laughs> and I have, like I have all their signatures that I still like look at and because of that once I when like fourth grade got okay at playing guitar and could do my thing you know I was like okay now's the time to get into dream theater you know so I bought all their dream all the dream theater tab books and I basically learned like every fucking solo I could every riff and I was like a Dream Theater super fan for until I was like 16 years old. Wow. Like from 11 to 16, all I gave a fuck about was Dream Theater because I, I got picked on a lot and I'm like a little dude. So I like, you know, as soon as I got done with the kids in the block shit, I would just go home and play guitar until my fingers bled or whatever, you know, and just try to try to really get into that. And I remember like learning Iron Maiden songs by ear and my dad like applauding so hard, right? But then, like, he would never give me praise after that, you know? I would be like, hey, check this out. This is not true. Pretty cool, Cody, you know? So I, I, like, naturally thought my standards were really high. So, like, I, I got pretty good. And then, like, by the time I'm, like, 14, I'm, like, at Guitar Center, and I'm, like, showing people up. And I'm like, damn, like, I thought everyone was good, you know? <laughs> so, so it was pretty cool, like having to accidentally get that like technical ability i wasn't creative at all so like when i was like 15 getting into like deathcore really was kind of what got me into like uh harsh vocals for lack of a better term you know and it's mainly just because you know i came up in um i lived in kettering at the time and my friends were like getting into like underground music but deathcore was the fucking thing you know it was like 2008 2009 um so like my first band was called otis driftwood and that was like a deathcore band where i played guitar but because of deathcore i got into like mashuga and like dillinger escape plan because i was really into progressive anything like like because of dream theater i would check out rush yes dixie dregs i would like go down this like prog rabbit hole and i remember in like I don't know, like middle school, I found this uh, website called Prog Archives. And Prog Archives is fucking sick because they had like 30 subgenres of prog. So I would like go check out like math rock bands, like progressive death metal and like, you know, progressive punk, progressive anything. You know, that's that's what I thought was the term for complex music, because like I said, I got to like a proficiency that was pretty decent at a young age. So I was just hungry for interesting music you know like my my favorite part about dream theater was not dream theater it was like the 
the instrumental sides, you know. So they have like a they have a song called Instrumentally, which is like five instrumental sections all at once, and that was my shit, you know. So like uh, because of that, I started getting into like Meshuggah, Dillinger Escape Plan, and then like because the only thing that was around me after Deathcore died was like hardcore. That's when I got started getting into Converge because Converge to me is like you know like the hardcore opus like like botch like that's like math hardcore to me you know what i mean um at, at least coming from like somebody who like worshiped dillinger escape plan you know like i used to be in a band called bath salts and we were basically like rage against the machine meets dillinger escape plan meets incubus like it was all a fucking over the place you know i couldn't help it so like when i started getting into hardcore mainly to like please my friends you know it was immediately that like really gross dissonant black metal sounding converge you know but I'd never like listened to black metal, never really listened to like real death metal even, you know. So like I said, uh, I just kind of like got into like the weird quirky bands at an early age. And then because of that, I'm kind of finding my way out of that, out of that like rabbit hole. You know what I mean? I'm kind of climbing out of that and starting to appreciate more like simple styles of music, even though they're abrasive, like Mortician or something, you know, Mortician's like not necessarily technical but they're super abrasive you know and that's like it's, that's the stuff that's itching me right now and gore grind particularly you know well that that's interesting to hear you bring up gore grind and mortician that's a great segue to talk about sanguisugabog um because i hear yeah. mortician a lot in, in the guitar um tone and and also you know it's, it's another thing that's interesting is uh one it's a single from your forthcoming album we should say um for the listeners, the uh, Tortured Hole full-length, uh, debut full-length on Century Media Records is going to be at the 26th of March this month, right? Yep. And that Dick Filet single is, is going to be on there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> the reason I bring it up um, is because, you know, I kind of I reviewed the both of the music videos today, and I listened to Dick Filet, and I reviewed the older release. And oh, Dick, cool. Dick Filet, I mean, it's brutal. It's obviously got that kind of caveman brutality you guys are known for, but it seemed like with the drums, you were reaching to add a different dynamic, maybe a little bit of technicality or, or something going on there uh, in Dick Filet, especially in the beginning of the song. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, that, to me, I would call the gospel chop uh, part or the hip-hop part or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like basically like, um, like let me let me backtrack just a little bit. When I was like 15, 16, I got into deathcore because my friends liked it, right? But then like I got into weed. <laughs> so, when I started, so when I started smoking weed, I started getting into like Red Hot Chili Peppers and like like stuff that was just like not like easy listening. You know, I kind of like set out to reinvent myself a little bit. And in that way, because I had been like, I've been playing with this drummer when I was like 12 and he was like also kind of like a, I hate to use the term, but like kind of a prodigy, you know? So we, we actually had like a little local band called Prodigy and it was just two 12 year olds playing like Ozzy Osbourne and Green Theater covers and Rush. But it was all instrumental because we could never find a singer, you know. So anyways, just from like watching him play drums, I got into drumming. But then when I started smoking weed, I really got into drumming because I got into like hip hop and I got into like things that were just like not technical based, you know. But like being into drums for so long, I eventually, you know, got to a point where I'm like, okay, I want to get better. You know, I want to be a better drummer. So, um that's kind of like what I'm setting out to do with Sengasugo Bog. It's like create a situation where I have to be a better drummer. Um, like, cause Sengasugo Bog is like the first band I've played real drums in, like as the drummer. 
in a long time and i'm actually i actually bought a double bass pedal just because of sing because because like i got into drumming and i was playing deathcore like breakdowns and stuff so i already had like my feet kind of down and then i broke my double pedal one day and uh, it was like an older dw5000 the hinge like broke off so i couldn't afford like a nice pedal like i wanted so because i had just gotten a smoking pot and shit i was like okay fine i'll just become like you know like a cool hip-hop drummer who can play like right. fast gospel chops and shit you know right. i was really into like the mars volta yeah, dude. Uh, it was like one of my favorite bands for a long time say, like sing, like single pedal gospel chop like yeah thomas Pridgen, um yeah, even sweet. even the dillinger skate plan drummers are like really known for being really proficient with one foot and Billy doing Robert, all those weird the- blast beats I think Billy Reimer plays with double kick now, well, but back in the day, yeah. Uh, Iron Maiden is the big one that everyone knows uh, for this, this, but also um, the Exhumed album Slaughter Cult is uh, kind of infamous for for being recorded with only uh, one kick one kick pedal. Damn, yeah, I'll have to check that out. Like, like I said, um, because like I got back into death metal, or I got into death metal, like really with saying Sugabog, I'm like still doing my homework, man. So it's it's really weird. When people are like, yeah, you guys sound like this, you sound like this. And I'm like, shit, I'll have to check them out, you know, because <laughs> re- really what they're hearing is like Cameron's riffs, because Cameron definitely has like a background in death metal or at least knows a lot more than I do. And, you know, I think like guitar riffs kind of really are what death metal sounds like more so than drumming, um, at least at least for our band, you know, so um, that, that's but that's all really. In- it's really interesting to hear that the drummer of Sanguisugabog has a background in more progressive music like that, so hardcore, it, and and um, it makes sense when you listen to it because that's the thing is like I said with that, especially with that song Dick Fillet, but like there's this there's this brutality, there's this. I mean, it's obviously it's it's like in your face with Sanguisugabog. It's what the band's about, but like there's it almost gives you room to kind of do, do that interesting rhythmic stuff that like you said like a hip-hop drummer might do you know yeah fuck yeah thanks man yeah it's 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 cool like i won't lie like it really came from like when we started saying the sugabog malignant alter had just put out mm-hmm. their album on maggot stomp right and i i didn't even know insect warfare i didn't know who the drummer was or anything i just remember cameron showing it to me um pretty much right when we right when i got in the sanguisugabog like when we started first hammering out pornographic seizures he was showing me malignant alter right so i heard that drummer fucking going off and immediately it clicked in my head i was like oh wow i can use this band as like a a way for me to like you know fulfill my drumming wishes you know what i mean like it was just cool to like be like oh like because i've always struggled with genres because i came from a small town so like when I made hardcore, it didn't sound like hardcore, you know. Um, when I made anything, it was it was like too ADHD to be any like one genre. It always came out like subgenre wise, you know what I mean? So, so I'm definitely like kind of embracing that with Sing the Sugabog. and like because Cameron writes this, every single song just riffs, doesn't even tell me what to play at all. Like it it kind of came out to be like every time we'd have a single sugabog practice it's just me playing drums how i play drums with cameron like showing me the riffs he wants to play over and it's just up to me to do it however the fuck i want so you know there's there's like it's there's a push and pull where it's like how much do i want to be cody and how much do i want to be death metal you know what i mean and that's how i feel about it so it's like with dick fillet it was definitely like at the beginning originally i was like dude can we put like some trap hats in here you know (laughs) like (laughs) <laughs> like literally sample some 808s uh hats in there and 
you know and then like when we were recording um i was like well i'm probably just gonna play it on drums because like i don't want to like play with backing tracks like metronome uh like playing to a metronome on stage is not something i've ever wanted to do so i was like if we ever did that i'd have to play it on drums anyways so i might as well just like make something on drums so what you hear really is like an improv take of me doing my best like slow gospel chop style you know and I still don't know that fill. I like have to go learn that fill uh, when we play shows because I, I just do it different every time. That that's cool, man. Um, that, that's that's interesting because I knew there was something there with that. Uh, and and getting to Sanguasugabog, so obviously you're not Mr. Brutal Guttural Underground Death Metal uh, at the start. How do you hook up with those guys and become the Sanguasugabog drummer? What do you, you know? Do, do you know those guys from before the band or what's up? Yeah. So. Um, like I said, I was doing like, like I did like a hardcore band in 2012, 2014, and then I like wasn't in a band for a long time. So then like, or well, I mean, a long time for me, I guess. It was like two, three years before I did another thing. And after that, I started playing in hardcore bands. And um, I, I started playing with this band. Like I, I made this band called Crewneck. And the whole idea was like, you know, like there's a lot of hardcore crews and shit. And uh, they're all rocking crew necks. Like, that was the time. And they all have neck tattoos. And they're all in a crew. And I just saw this, like, kind of pun there, you know? So I was like, okay, I'm going to make a really heavy band called Crew Neck. And it sounds like the worst band you've ever seen. But when you go see us, I want it to be, like, crazy death grind, you know? Like, I wanted it to be, like, Nails worship, not going to lie. I was really into Nails around 2014. Because well, I didn't even... I mean, you might like as well. Said, you're, dude, you're never going to be one of them, so you might as well make your own band. Said, <laughs> yeah, wow. No great point, oh, well. Come on, come on. I'm That's sorry. Good I'm, point, well. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, I'm friends <laughs> with Taylor, so it's pretty cool to actually, like, be able to talk to people like that and, you know, have them laugh at themselves, too. But but anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, because of Nails, though, I created Crew Neck, and Crew Neck was, like, this weird band where nobody checked us out because of our band name, but every time we played a show everyone was like what the fuck are you doing like i was i was using like an hm2 at the time and it was just like really abrasive it was before anyone it was i wouldn't say before but it was be it was like right at the time when hm2 kind of took over that like hardcore death metal metalcore sound you know what i mean yeah um so like i was i don't know like people were stoked on crew neck and because of that i played with a band called uh bonehead and um Cameron was in Bonehead. He played bass, and I was I was really good friends with their guitar player. And I, I ended up doing a band with their vocalist at some time too, which is pretty hardcore called Wild Mentality. But um, yeah, I played for I filled in for Cameron's other hardcore band a few years later called Humility, and that was like the first time I really got to hang out with Cameron. And those dudes just like they're all like a few years older than me, like three or four years older than me, so. At that time, I think I was like 20 or 21, and they were just party animals, and I like couldn't hang at that time, you know. <laughs> so, so we played a few shows, and they, we just got too drunk, and I was like, man, this is like, I don't know if I can do this at the time, you know. But it, it ended up that like it was just good timing for them to kind of like quit playing too, I guess. I don't know. That band kind of fell apart after I filled in, for better or for worse. But I, they're called Humility from Columbus. They're really fucking cool, like youth crew style hardcore um i think that shit's really sweet otherwise i wouldn't have played in it so that's how i met cameron and then um steve which was like our original bass player um 
Cameron was like best friend to Steve at that time when we started uh, Sing with Sugabog and he wasn't in the band yet. We just had been like showing him like us practicing and then he like got enticed to be in the band and then then we got Devin in the band because uh, Cameron knew Devin already. Uh, the, all those dudes live in Columbus. I live in Dayton. So um, the only person I really knew going into Sing with Sugabog was Cameron. But I, I knew I loved Cameron already because like I said, his his friend, I th they told me they were cousins. I don't know if they're really fucking cousins, but uh, th their friend Joey, Joey Fisher from Bonehead, that's like, really fucking love that guy. And just knowing that him and Cameron were really close made me ha have like a, an affinity for Cameron already, you know? So doing this band, he just hit me up with the, uh, with he had the whole EP written, but with fake drums. And he was like, hey dude, um, you know, I've seen what you've been doing. Um, at that time, I had just put out, which uh, this is how I found out about Heavy Hole. Uh, I did that Crypt Hammer album. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that, that band uh, on To Live a Lie. But I'm playing drums. I recorded that. I'm even playing all the guitar solos and stuff. But I think you guys yeah. gave us a shout out. I think, and, uh, uh, yeah, I think Justin brought him in. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, thank you, Justin. Um, that's how I found yeah. out about Heavy Hole. Because, like, we got tagged or something. And I checked it out, you know. So thank you for that. But, yeah, at that time, I had... I'd been done Crypt, uh, Crypt Hammer, and because he heard that, I think he was like, hey, you know, now that you're into death metal, basically, here's my thing. Do you think you'd be interested in doing it? And uh, yeah, like I heard Succulent Decedent, that first riff that for our first single that we put out on Maggot Stomp. And uh, I heard the, every song, but that song stuck out to me. You know, that was the song that made me be like, yeah, I want to do this. You know, I think that would be cool. And um, I had already given up on crew neck, so I was ready to do a bunch of side projects. So I just seen it as another side project and then, uh, you know, here we are and it's like the coolest thing I've ever done. You know? Well, that, that's a, that's a good place to leave off there because my question is, uh, you know, obviously it's no, it's no, um, uh, nothing, no news to anybody that Sanguasuga Bog is signed to Century Media Records. Now you guys are kind of taken off despite the pandemic. Um, when we talked to Devin, I I, I want to say it was it had to be less than a year. It was probably over last summer, I think, that we talked to Devin. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and listeners can go back. We already talked to uh, Devin from uh, Sanguasugabog and, and Limb Splitter and had a whole episode with him uh, last summer. The thing I want to get to is you guys signed to Maggot Stomp Records, which is um, you know respectable but very underground and independent tape label uh, with limited releases. The Century Media thing, it just, it seemed like you guys blew up from the maggot stomp thing from the go, and then Century Media, I guess, kind of seized upon the fact that you were uh, developing a big following. Could you talk a little bit that, and just maybe give us some insight, uh, what you would attribute that to? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, you hit it, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I think, like, seeing a Sugabog coming out with maggot stomp, it's probably the best thing we could have done at that time, and I don't know why. I just, I just think that like, it just happened to be a good time to be on that label for everyone. And then because we were like an oddball, or at least like, like I said, I'm not, I'm not super into, or at least I'm, I'm not like very schooled in modern death metal yet. Cause I'm still doing my homework, but I would like to say that we're still kind of different for that label. Um, so like us coming out on that label just gave us the proper ears for anyone to hear us, you know, who, who was already into that style of music. And I won't lie, like Cameron even said when we started the band, he was like, you know, he's like, I really been liking Maggot Stomp bands. He started showing me some bands like, you know, Frozen Soul, Malignant Alter. 
and um he kind of was like yeah this is kind of like what i'm shooting for and i really want to like turn our demo into these guys you know so um we actually like did pornographic seizures and then mixed it in my room until like 7 a.m in one night and send it to, to scott and uh yeah he ended up liking it so like like that's that's just to kind of give you how like show you how last minute it really was it was like i I didn't care about it enough to even give it more than one day to mix. You know, huh. we were just like that excited to do it. We didn't care if it was going to turn out good or not. You know, so um, it luckily it ended up turning out pretty good, and um, it was definitely you know the most attention I've ever had ever. So it really did kind of feel like overnight. You know, all of a sudden I was in the biggest band I, I was ever going to be in, or at least at that time. So um, yeah, I think um, Maggot Stomp definitely played a big part. I do think, like, even though we get some hate for it, I do think our meme page kind of helped a little bit. Huh. But the reason it helped though is like, just because like, you know, for me it was like, okay, we had gotten into like they were showing me all the bands I need to check out, you know. So Mortician was like a big one, and um, then I found that like I make memes while listening to Mortician page, and I was like, dude, how funny would it be if we had like a, I make memes while listening to the sing with Sugabog page and devin was like oh dude that's great and devin's really good at memes so he was like all right i'm on it so he started making memes immediately of us being the best band in town you know and it's just like it's obviously funny it's obviously like uh we don't really feel that way you know but it was just like well yeah making fun of the mortician thing while also putting us in that position and then you know just having a lot of that work out and then um us going on tour for the first time was crazy because we were making night and merch sales, which has never happened to me in my life, you know? So within like two weeks, we're like, whoa, we're like a cool band. <laughs> like, wow. You know, like we had no idea. We're like laughing so hard, you know, buying as much well, cocaine and weed as we can because we're just excited, you know? It's a rock right. star, man. Allegedly. And you guys are very open about um, illicit drug use, which I do want to touch on. Uh, sure, yeah. uh, allegedly, but uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack right there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so Back we. Me up. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> so we talk about because this it's all very interesting to me, and it seems like it happened in a very organic way. We've been, and it's something that's happened that we've covered kind of in real time. You know, we we started the podcast, uh, you know, give or take, uh, you know, a few weeks, two years ago. And we were, you know, at first, you know, Tom Tom was like, hey, I've been ordering these tapes from this label, Maggot Stomp Records. Yeah. And next thing you know, we're interviewing Scott McGrath. Yeah, and, and next like, thing you know, long word? Yeah, uh, yeah and, and next thing you know, we're interviewing Sanguasugabog, and, and uh, you know, we had Stabbed on, and, and, and you know, it's, it's a thing. So we've kind of watched the whole thing in real time, and, and, and Sanguasugabog, and of course, shout to Frozen Soul, uh, signed to yeah. Century Media Records quite recently, and that was like, wow, I mean... You know, we joke around about. It. I'm not going to call the other big boy labels out, but they're making some some funny moves uh, with yeah. some of the non-metal bands they're signing and things like that. And then you have Century Media, who I really did not expect to kind of seize on um, what was really hot in the underground, guttural, brutal market. Yeah, man. No, it's funny you bring that up because uh, you know we actually share. I believe we still share the same manager as Frozen Soul. And um, the the thing is, is that like we sent our EP to Century Media before we made Tortured Hole, and Mike Gitter hated it. And he sent us <laughs> an email. He sent us an email like uh, it's just nothing but extended breakdowns, nothing uh. new. 
you know and we thought it was so funny that we made it a sticker on our vinyl release Fuck for yeah. everything with Sugabog pornographic seizures vinyl so if you got any of the og pressings you should have like a yellow metal horn sticker on there that says nothing but breakdowns and something like that i forget what the quote was you know so so yeah like in a way like you know we we like made fun of Gitter for a little bit and then he signs frozen soul and we're like what the fuck <laughs> you know <laughs> and then you know it just so happened to be like i wake up one day we just got done making fun of that and um cameron's like hey dude so i guess century media is like kind of interested in us and you know and at first i'm like fuck that we already determined that we don't want to do that because you know they turned us down the first time you know we were like trying to be cool you know like uh but um yeah i mean they gave us an offer we couldn't refuse and um i'm pretty fucking stoked on it not gonna lie you know <laughs> wow so at the end of the day i mean megan stomp obviously seized on something um uh that, that was going on in the scene and you know i don't know if you want to play the pandemic into it and the way the uh the the dynamics of the underground scene and the way people support music and all that changed during the pandemic but like what what is it that you think about this kind of nostalgic uh, for the old school stripped down brutal quote unquote caveman style um, that a caught on so big with listeners and supporters and b the bigger labels now apparently at least Century Media feel is viable? Yeah, um, I think I can. I mean, I, I'm going to tell you from my experience, and I think my experience is kind of valid because of my age. So I'm 25. You know, I got into hardcore, not because I liked hardcore, it was because all my friends were fucking doing it, you know? Okay. And it's, it's not that I don't like hardcore, but it's that, you know, what I really wanted to do was like a Dillinger Escape Plan worship band, and nobody cared for that at the moment. I was a few years late, you know? If I was here in 2003, then I'd be probably be in a happy, you know, in a happy place. But, but yeah, like, I think what really happened is, like, you know, hardcore, in my opinion, kind of made underground famous uh, in every regard, because there was hardcore bands that, were grind influence there's hardcore bands that were death metal influence there's just like a lot of you know genre hopping as i like the as i like to call it and i'm a genre hopper myself you know and that's like how i like to express myself like you know um with, like with the gore grind thing that was like a big deal for me to go into that direction and because of gore grind is why i actually ended up being so accepting of like the death metal and stuff but but yeah in my opinion i think that like the hardcore kids made underground music a little more like they were buying shit you know they made it more of a good business move and then like a lot of these hardcore bands were getting into like entombed a lot of hm2 type shit yeah. and then like gate creeper really capitalized on that you know and you know and they kind of became the king of that brand of hardcore that like death metal like you know also um what's that one fucking band uh uh, they're Spanish Zabalba. Uh, yeah. Another another great band that like has a lot of death metal influence and kind of like made death metal cool for the hardcore kids. And then I think what happened was just because there's such a big volume of hardcore kids, they started getting into death metal. You know, and I know this. I, I mean, like I know this from personal experience because like Crypt Hammer, I wasn't even supposed to be in Crypt Hammer originally. The reason I did Crypt Hammer is because I had a friend named Hayden. He was in a hardcore band and recorded his hardcore bands with Fix My Face Records. And then um, he asked me to help him produce, like, create his death metal album. And, like, he, he didn't play drums. So I was going to play drums and he was going to pay me to 
record him, help him make it, and play drums, right? So he ended up giving me like a PV VTM. I thought that was a sick deal, you know? So he's showing me like Gore Guts and all these like death metal bands that are really fucking cool I've never heard of, you know? So I was, I immediately got on board and like I said, being a genre hopper, it was like pretty easy for me to kind of like digest immediately what I thought it was. We were listening to like Dark Throne, Soul Side Journey a lot too. Mm, and, uh, you know, album. we were trying to do the HM2 thing as well. So that's why Crypt Hammer's EP became that. It was, it was like me taking what Hayden thought was cool putting it through a lens and then like bringing his riffs to life, adding some riffs, playing drums the way I like to, which was very like Chaos AD inspired. You know, there's a lot of parts where my bass drum like doesn't fit the riffs and that's, you know, that's what I like. So that's also why there's like synth parts on there. It was just like direct dark drone worship, you know, and, and then like just because I'm, you know, a guitar player originally, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to shred on this thing. I'm going to make this my band, you know, because I really like Hayden. And uh, so, yeah, I kind of like, accidentally became crypt hammer with him you know and, <laughs> and in that in that way you know i think that's what happened to a lot of people like every everyone you know kind of for whatever reason got a little bored with hardcore and started making these like hardcore death metal spin-offs and i think you know i mean not to dog on anyone but i really do think um a lot of magastomp bands have some hardcore influence and you know i think that's why I think we do too, you know, like obviously from playing in hardcore bands, hardcore is like pretty, pretty big in Columbus too. Um, especially when I was younger, um, it was like the thing, you know? So yeah, I think, I think it's really just a matter of the youth itself is coming from hardcore and then creating, you know, they, they have a, they're hungry. They want more, more things. And yeah. for whatever reason, in order, I guess, I guess it's because like, in order to find more information, you got to go do your history. You know what I mean? And in that way, everyone started listening to older 90s death metal bands who had hard-ass riffs. They just blast-beated for too long for them, you know? So yeah. they, they wanted yeah. to take that away, you know, and make their own version of it. I, that's my yeah. impression, at least. Well, you touched on, you know, you did bring up Gate Creeper, and something we've touched on is how, um, you know, like we've had uh, uh, Terry Butler and... Um, uh, Trevor Perez of uh, Obituary on, and we talked about how obituaries enjoyed this kind of like newfound uh, appreciation amongst the younger hardcore crowd. And I, yeah. I think what you're saying speaks to that. It's very true. And I've always said that hardcore and hip hop are very much alike in the fact that they're a youth oriented form of music. Um, yeah. And, you know, even the bands that stick around and the people that stick around in the scene who are in their 40s, 50s, and so on, and even older. Um, you know, hardcore, I think they would agree, hardcore is, is centered on the youth. It reminds you of your youth. It's an, It can be very nostalgic. Whereas metal, I think, takes place in a more, um, uh, I guess, open frontier of escapism, if, if that makes sense, where it's yeah. not really age-specific. You know, to, and, to, you know, to me as an outsider to hardcore more, I'm more of a metal person. Uh, you know, you know, like I said, like hardcore just seems like something that you get into when you're young. Like I don't see a lot of people discovering hardcore when they're in their late thirties to middle age. No, hardcore is you like know? is like uh, the belief that your back doesn't hurt, and like <laughs> you know what I mean. And, but like sometimes, like you get older and you're like, yeah, my fucking back hurts. Let me sit down. Like, there's and no fucking this way. Thirty minute gorge. But you guts listen album, to hardcore you know? and you're like, yeah. I can, I'll I'll fucking jump over anything you got right now. Yeah. I don't need you know, any support. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, so, yeah but, so, but reality sets in, and you're like, sometimes you need to sit back in these riffs right now. That's why the, you know, it, it makes sense. that's why we're not cutting this in halftime. It makes sense that it makes sense that that as people grow up, they keep expanding their knowledge of music, 
And, you know, a band you brought up a, a while ago in the conversation, you mentioned Botch. Uh, Hell yeah. Legendary, um, iconic, progressive, math, whatever you want to call it, kind of metalcore right. band mm-hmm. from the late 90s into 2000s from, from Washington. Um, and that's that's another band that we say, you know, like we talked, we talk a little bit about the context of deathcore and how, you know, some bands, we were, we were having a conversation before the podcast tonight just talking about how some bands... Um, they might lift superficial elements from death metal, like the growling vocals, the guitar tone. But then there are those bands that transcend a little bit, transcend, and they, they lift the the idea of the composition and the songwriting and the technicality, and they yep. really, you know, they get it in a way. You know, the uh, the push and pull of uh, of creating tension and releasing it that I think the the best hardcore does so well. No, I agree, man. Like, I just got into devourment, no shit, and like listening to devourment really makes me like think about when i was in like eighth grade and deathcore was huge and we were listening to like the most obscure deathcore we could you know like waking the cadaver was like our like the coolest thing we ever heard you know yeah and um listening to devourment now i can kind of see where like at least for like um what's the album called with the like the head chopped off molesting the the decapitated (laughs) yeah i've been eating that shit up and when i listen to it i'm like yeah this is like for real like this is like what i thought deathcore was it's like this is like what i wanted it to be but hearing it now i hear how like that's where it came from you know what i mean i just i just for whatever reason skipped over that band like i heard like beneath the massacre oceano like you know um more i was i was listening to like more technical deathcore bands like bella maya after the burial uh born of osiris's first album you know so like that that was the stuff that spoke to me and um you know, like you were talking about, like not getting in, like not coming from hardcore. I really don't come from hardcore. It's just that, like, I was at that age where everyone was into hardcore and I wanted to play in a band. I didn't give a fuck what it was. So yeah. I started playing hardcore, you know. But I really come from like Corn, Incubus, Rage Against the Machine, Dream Theater, and Hair Metal. Like, that's me. You huh. know what I mean? So I love it. So coming in, so coming into Sango Suga Bog and, you know, lately Gore Grind has been a big part of my identity. But it's still a new. It's a. It's also a new thing. It came to me probably like two or three years ago, and it came from Crewneck, and it came from me doing like a nails type band, and then trying to figure out like what makes this so fucking cool to me. And then I start listening to, you know, like Dead Infection and and uh, some like mince core bands, Hyperemesis. Um, in Dayton, Ohio, we have like a legendary gore grind band called Sulfuric Cautery. So I started mm-hmm. going to those shows, and uh, that's. Yeah, I don't know if you want to segue now, but that's basically how I got in the door grind is hanging out with that dude. Well, um, you, you definitely listen to the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. I just want to say finally somebody that shares uh, my origin story, which is uh, fantastic, uh, coming from Corn and Rage Against the Machine into huh. uh, into yeah. uh, other types of bouncy riffs. Uh, so th- uh, thank you, brother, and I also thank yeah, you for did. warming up that segue for Will. Ah, <laughs> yes, yeah. it's cold out here, and it's I don't know. It's probably cold in Ohio too. It's right gonna now. be sixty tomorrow. But um, yeah, uh, no, nah, it's cool, man. I, I love bringing it back. You know, dude, I just bought four pairs of Jinkos because I'm trying to bring that's back. That's what's up. I'm bringing that's back where I'm from. You know, what oh I mean? boy, like, uh, the new putrid stew is like a rugrat spoof, and I'm just trying to wow. bring back yeah. the like '90s shit as, that I like. As you know? somebody who who still tries to keep Sean John and Echo 
and 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 uh, uh, rock aware alive. I, I I can't hate. On Listen, that. man, my my fiance is not on the cutting edge of gore grind, but she also uh, just ordered four pairs of Jinkos today because she, <laughs> she's <laughs> fashionable. She's that's, got eyes. Yeah, 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 I, I, would tru- I would trust that she's on the cutting edge. Of I I'll fashion. take all my advice from her, man. Uh, yeah. In terms of uh, what you're going to see on the runway. One uh, step ahead, Cody. The, if the baggy look is coming back, I'm all for it because that early 2000s mm-hmm. skinny jean era was not good for us big dudes. You want to hear a really sad story? Is uh, I was I tried to be cool back in the day when Jenkos were really hot. So uh, so I asked my parents, "Hey, give me one of them Jenko jeans. You know, I really want it." They got me the skinniest pair of Jenko jeans that they, <laughs> they, they, they could find. So it was just this really weird fitting kind of too short pair, but it had the little. You know, uh, like Spitfire esque flame boy. So you wanted to get, it. you wanted to rock the logo. So still. yeah, so yeah. I was still yeah. nobody talked to me still. Ah. Dude, that kind of <laughs> happened to me. Like um, I was really into the pants, like the Jinko and shit too, because my I hung out with my older cousins, and they were like, they were like the goth kids on South Park for real. <laughs> like, but they all wore it. They all wore like huge pants, and I thought it was so sick. But they were like five, six years older than me. And, uh, you know, I kind of come from, like, poverty. So, like, I, my, my nana, my mama are always buying clothes too big for me, knowing I would grow into them, Smart. you know? Yeah. So, as a kid, I was always wearing big clothes. And then, like, when, like, skinny jeans became cool, I got my first pair of trip pants, you know? So, I couldn't even fucking rock them with, like, dignity because <laughs> I was already being ostracized for, you know, being weird with long hair. Um, so, yeah, I started wearing fucking girl jeans, too, you know, just... I, I, I won't lie, like, you know, I wanted to be cool at that time. I was, like, 12, you know? <laughs> but, you know, coming back to it, it's funny. It's, like, the pants, dude, they say so much. Like, uh, on my Fix My Face Records Facebook, you know, I, 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 I you know, post what I do. And uh, I get, like, 5 to 10 likes, maybe. I posted me wearing Jeanco's recording Sarcophagus, which they just signed a maggot stomp, by the way. And I get like a hundred likes immediately. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, they are iconic. You yeah, know dude. I mean? I'm trying to single-handedly bring Jinkos to death metal. Dude, the, the only Instagram TV video I've recorded that anyone cares about is the one where I have a cat. I'm, I'm like, I'm, yeah. I have like a cat on my shoulder while I'm growling. <laughs> so much relatable. more attention, dude. <laughs> so yeah, you just gotta have a gimmick. Um, but I, you, 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 uh, you broke my segue out. I might as well do a trick on it. Uh, you brought up Gore Grind. You talked about your relationship to Gore Grind, and you have two projects um, that uh, I uh, previewed today and, and checked out. Murder Man uh, with is that Isaac Horn? Isaac Horn, yep. Yeah, who was of a number of projects. Um, Lord Panacea, one of, uh, that we've discussed on the podcast before. Paul has brought mm-hmm. them in, right? Yeah, Paula mm-hmm. brought them up. Um, you had the 2020 release Body Disposal Expert, um, and you also have a project that you have quite a few releases with Putrid Stew. Yeah, that's Stew like the name. I like S T U. Um, yeah, yeah, and there's a reason for that, but uh, you can keep going. Well, okay, I was just gonna say for the listeners, very recommended. We talk about Ping, we talk about Gorgrind. I, I hear um, a Last Days of Humanity vibe going on, heavy, especially with that Ping drum work. Yeah, um, especially especially with the newest release, I'm assuming that you checked out. That has um, a drummer named Polwak, and he's in a band called Echimosis from uh, Thailand. Yeah, oh, you must Great. be talking about the new album mm-hmm. Amidst an Anal Anal Jessic Assembly. 
Yeah. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's the first time I ever heard anyone say it. I, 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 I was practicing saying that that way at my house today. Okay. Yeah, go, yeah, go uh, on. That Echimosis, uh, they had a new album out. I brought that in a few weeks ago. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, that, dude. that dude drums. Tasty. He yeah. is a drummer. Yeah. Yeah. He is Ping Lord. Incredible yeah. sound they got on that. I Echimosis. thought it was a yep. drum machine at first, and then I saw there was a drummer, yeah. Man, he's he's really incredible. Yeah, that that was like, um, so I'm doing this like collaborative thing called Stupid Poo, which is like an alter ego to Putrid Stew. And the reason I got Polak on that release is just because I asked him if he had any like drum tracks laying around. And what he sent me was like so fast and so sick. I was like, man, I got to make this like a real Putrid Stew effort because huh. it's it, it was also like an opportunity because like I can't play that fast like at all, but. Um, you know, I try. So it was a cool opportunity to kind of like step into, like you said, like the last days of humanity sound. And, and instead of worrying about like unique transitions and riffs, more so worrying about like, how can I maintain the same sound over five minutes? You know what I mean? And, yeah. and not get just the same thing. Like, it's not the same thing, you know, how to like write out 17, uh, 16 second long riffs. You know what I mean? Like I had to, I had to keep doing all that. But um, yeah, yeah. So to back up, um, the reason I made Patriot Stew was from going to shows uh, in Dayton at Isaac's house. And, um, you know, Isaac played in Hemdale for a little bit. Isaac um, has been in a fucking fuck ton of bands. So he's like the guy, you know. And, and when I was doing Crew Neck, um, I didn't even know about underground grind at all. Like, I thought grind was like Magruder grind, drop dead. Um, nails. That's what I thought it was. Like I for real had no fucking clue about any of it. You know, it, it so it goes deep. I mean, that's that's all good stuff, but uh, yeah, it's, and, you're you know, never gonna find the end of it, right? And like people like to make fun of newer bands for having like like they call it false grind and stuff. And it's like, man, it's like you know, my bad for not being there at that time because that's <laughs> the only way you would fucking know is if you were there. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it's that, that's what happens with the underground scene, man. My bad for not being you uh, criticizing <laughs> yeah. me right now. Somebody's you know? always yeah. going to be mad at you for not being 18 years old in 1989. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <That shit. laughs> but yeah, so um, I, I started going to those shows. Um, there was a band called Lunk who turned into the band called Fumigated. And that band's really fucking cool. Um, Lunk was hilarious to me because, like, like I said, with the crew neck name, like, it was kind of a spoof on, like, tough guys, meatheads. So, like, Lunk is literally, like, like uh, the logo is all biceps. <laughs> it's, like, the biceps spell Lunk out. And I thought it was the funniest, coolest thing ever. And they're playing, like, mortician grind type shit, you know, but with real drums. I thought that was so fucking cool, and I didn't. You know, not only did they do my spoof better, but they're playing better, heavier music than me. So I was like, I got to fucking go see these guys, you know, and and um, the Dayton scene here is kind of inclusive. They're like, like on their flyers, they're like, ask a punk for the address because, you know, we don't want fucking weirdos coming in and partying in that way. You know, like it, it's not that kind of thing. So so I had to like, go figure out where the fuck this place is, you know. So um, luckily, my my longtime friend, Dustin, um, he ended up playing guitar and featured stew stuff with me, even though he's not into gore grind really much at all. Like he go, he loves the shows, but it's like a, for him, it's like a live experience. He doesn't really listen to too much gore grind, but anyways, like he just happened to work with Isaac at the time. So I was like, Hey, where's this show? And I ended up going and seeing Lunk and I can't remember who else was there. I think suppression played, but I, huh. 
I, I can't be 100%, but um, it was one of those S bands that's like uh, noise core, bass, and drums. Is that suppression? Uh, I I don't know if suppression would have just been. They're, they're like a very old school kind of power violence uh, hardcore band from, from back in the day. I know they've been around okay. a lot. Well, it's one of those one of those S yeah. bands, bass and drum bands. But anyways, um, yeah, like I, I seen that show, and even though like I'd played shows with Isaac before, we didn't really talk much. But um, at that show, I just kind of like started trying to like you know make my way in and basically kind of be like, hey, I'm really interested in this, and I really want to do this with somebody. And I had been pushing grindcore on my friends who play drums, but none of them want to fucking do that because it's you know you sweat so fucking much. They just don't want to do it, you know. It's a workout. So, yeah, yeah. So um, I set out to do a gore grind band because of that. Because I was like, you know, especially from like coming from hardcore, any kind of gatekeeping community, it's like, you know, if you're a newbie, they don't want to fuck with you, you know. Hmm. So I had to be like, I got to like do my homework myself and kind of show people that this is like something I'm actually interested in, not just kind of hopping into, you know. So, yeah, I wanted to make Putrid Stew. And the, the name, it comes from my dad. My dad had the idea to make a band called putrid stew he's been telling me that since i was like 10 years old he he thinks it's so funny but for him for him it's like a rotten stew that's been like wait like sitting outside for days or something you know like that's that was his interpretation of it but there's a there's a gore grind band called putrid liquid from dayton and i didn't want putrid liquid to be upset with my putrid stew because a stew is a liquid you know what i mean <laughs> So I just, you know, I just decided to make the pun out of it, like, and make it kind of about, like, uh, maybe you guys aren't into Sublime, but you ever seen, like, you ever opened the Sublime CD with where it's, like, just Sublime tattooed on the dude's back, and you pop the CD off, and there's that fucking clown sitting there, and he's, like, drunk as fuck, and there's, like, his house is trashed. It's like a comic book. Have you guys seen that? Uh, I, I know I've seen that back picture somewhere, but I, I yeah. not so much so, the like, clown. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, basically, my dad had, like, you know, Green Day Dookie and, like, that Sublime record and Rage Against the Machine and Incubus, all that kind of shit in my house. So I had been staring at those CDs forever. So when I seen that, when I thought of Putrid Stew being a guy, I saw that image in my head, like this huh. fucking gross American fucking clown. You know what I mean? So that's what I wanted to make the imagery about, you know? And, and you know, to my disliking, I didn't realize the humor was kind of looked down upon in Gore Grind. It's like, there's the bands who do it and then there's like everyone who thinks it sucks like people who just don't like humor and gore grind like i did a split with a band called golem of gore in uh, italy and they they were like please no silly shit like they take yeah. it pretty seriously they don't like that you know so I'm, I'm, that's okay I'm, admittedly yeah. i'm a little bit of the, i'm a little bit from that school oh yeah will will yeah. will say things I, <laughs> that's cool i'm not into no, fun i get it <laughs> He hates I, fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. Well, I, I have fun, like you know, with my dog. Yeah, like I just, I don't like Maybe. mixing it with my metal. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. It's like an acquired taste, yeah. and um, I, I like that stuff. Um, you know, like t Tony Danza trap dance, uh, tap dance extravaganza. Yeah, that was like I was Justin, into that. Yeah, Justin and I are. Um, we we sing that gospel everywhere we you're, go. You're hitting all of Will's greatest hits right I now. I like I like I like Danza. I'm a big Danza fan. Big my fan. my philosophy with Tony Danza tap dance whatever that band it doesn't <laughs> extravaganza. It doesn't matter how good their music is and how much I could respect their talent and everything. 
when they named the band that, they knew there would be people who don't give a shit. Yeah, they should have named. I, they should have like, named their band Danzaectomy. Like, I, like, dude, I will if I, I will interview those guys. I don't care. I'll talk to them about them. I know a lot of people are fans, but I when you name your band that Tony Danza thing, nobody owes you a shot to check out the music. Hey, I get that. I mean, I, I was worried about that with Sing a Sugabog, and I had that problem with Crew Neck. You know, Crew Neck was really a terrible band name, and I learned from that. You know, <laughs> well, Sing with Sugabog, you guys kind of create uh, intrigue, I think, with the band name. Yeah, we and the fooled you. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. fooled you. <laughs> I, I almost, I almost never checked out Sang with Sugabog until a good friend uh, who's on this podcast recommended it because we have, uh, we have a friend. Oh, me? Yes, we have a friend yeah. named uh, named John Peters who. Uh, <laughs> When he gets drunk, he starts talking to nogs and bogs and dogs and sogs and, and like stuff like that. So the band name sounded like what he would say <laughs> no uh, just uh, when he was like drunkenly trying to hit on a girl. Like, oh, what's up, baby? You want to try to sog my bog right now? Like kind of, you know, <laughs> og, og boggy. And he like it's actually, all true. like actually literally says this. Yeah. Uh, so I saw that band good. and I was like, mm. all Respect. right. But then I got it and it's yeah. fun and it's really good. Yeah, so, it was... Uh, um. Yeah, and I brought it to to the table here because the last show I saw behold, before this whole pandemic bullshit was you guys at Vitus. Yeah, and I had a blast. You guys with um, oh, yeah, vomit forth and uh, yeah, I'm blanking. But that was a great show. Yeah, but uh, you know, names important. Yeah. You know? So so Will, what made you check us out? If you hate that kind of silly thing, does that not speak to you that silly? Well, Sanguisugabog is not that. That that it's not from that variety of silly. Like when you talk to me, when you talk about yeah. gore grind and silly gore grind to me, I think of like and I'll name names because they do very well without my support. Do it, call it out. Them. Uh, Spit. Um, uh, Grony Bard and Bird Flesh, or like Last Days of Humanity, who I love. When I saw them live, they were throwing out blow up dolls and and yeah. stuff down. I mean, to me, it just kills the whole atmosphere. It's like it kind of it's like it's like that local band thing where like it doesn't matter what you play because you don't take it seriously. It's hey, like I get this that. Kind of, this this kind of like self deprecating thing. It's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and, like feel bad for me in a way. You well, know? it's something like that. And it's also like well, it's all a big joke anyway. Like like the guy's laughing at himself. I mean, now now here's the thing too. I'm approaching middle age. I don't get laid a lot. Uh, the music is really important to me because I have a mediocre life. I'm not a well-educated man. I don't have a great job. So I take this shit really seriously. That's and, cool. you know, I feel like the joke bands, it's just from a different perspective. You know what I mean, man? Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, like metal is my life, and without it, my life would be extremely sad. So, like, you know, I, I don't know. But, like, Sanguisugabog, I see as more of kind of like a funky drug culture um uh you know like like in like bad taste but in a b horror movie way like there's i don't just yeah that's it, pretty cool i'm i'm glad it speaks to you like that well yeah, yeah it, it doesn't strike me as just like a you know a party band like some of these joke bands are you know like there's a band i'm not again i'm not going to name names there's a band who uh uses the toys r us lettering as their logo Whoa! And, <laughs> and and to me personally, like again, like it's backwards. Just, wait, backwards are corn. It, it, it's it, a corn. Yeah. It, it, and again, I, you know, I don't think I'm hurting anybody because they do very well without me. People love it. No. It's just me personally. I yeah. need to be alone and miserable at the end of the day with a candle burning. 
alone in my room to listen to me. So it's like, no, like I'm not having the party. Dude, yeah. I, I don't have a goth girlfriend. You know, it's <laughs> it's a totally fair take. I mean, dude, it goes both ways. There's lots of people yeah. who like to have fun with their metal who think like listening to Zaster is too serious, you know? So it yeah, goes I, both ways. I, I, like, I actually you know? don't like Zaster, but I respect mm. that guy's personality. Yeah. I, the, the thing I could jive with most <laughs> about what you just said. Um, which I don't. I disagree. You don't get laid a lot. I think. I think you do pretty well. But you're a sexy man, but is funky. It's more of a funky thing than it is a, a silly thing. Yeah, like a yeah, yeah. fungus. Fungus. Yeah, it's well, a funky <laughs> thing. Well, like, that, it, it's true though, man. It's yeah. funk. Like that's the thing. Like, yep. like if you go back into the '70s, I mean, I look at actual funk, like Parliament Funkadelic, or I don't oh, know. Yeah. Look, Look at Sun Ra. That was kind of like in Ohio players a lot. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, like, like it, like you could have soul and be wacky and be out there with your personality and your way of expressing yourself. That's different from just making everything a big carnival joke. Yeah, that's different yep. from just being like, well, hey guys, I got this blow up sex doll and I could yeah. wear I could wear a dress for no reason and you know we could you know it's it's like like it's kind of like people just want to <clears throat> like. It's a gimmick. They want yeah, a gimmick. you want to find yeah, any excuse possible. Like, dude, I was in a band when I when I was in a death metal band when I was 16 years old, and I, you know, I didn't know what was going on. Sometimes I would like like wear a mask on stage. We we brought a big stuffed Yoda Yoda stuffed animal <laughs> and some plastic skulls on stage. Yeah. And after a while, yes. I was yep. like, I was like, yep. I'm just forcing it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, no, we're in the same side. We used to have uh, cardboard cutouts of all the different chocolate milks uh, we used to bring on stage. Which is like, yeah, it's, it's like, it's <laughs> like when you're sitting around talking. It's like, whoa, that'd be that'd be funny, that'd be crazy. Yeah, yeah. But then when you actually do it, you're the gimmicky bit. Yeah. Whereas you you're know, like, I don't have any bills. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't pay any bills, so it's like, yeah, I don't see uh, as much as like Sanguisugabog. You guys are definitely having fun with it. Um, those offenses don't line up. I don't like. It still makes well, sense. That's pretty fucking cool because I'm not gonna lie. I'm kind of I was kind of worried about that when I first seen the trauma video because like um, you know the trauma video is great, but my impression because I didn't know about trauma before we did it, I was like stoked on the gore. That's like what I yeah. wanted to see, did especially you? especially doing like gore grind and shit. You know, I was like, oh fuck. I'm like, you know, I've seen people do like compilations of gore grind and they use like old school movies and use all their gore scenes. Like I've had people do that with features too, even so. I was like, damn, that's fucking cool. We're about to do the real thing. And, yeah. you know, and it turned into like more of like a Tim and Eric thing. And that's cool. And, you know, I think we're just getting our feet wet with trauma because like we have another video coming out with trauma soon. And, uh, you know, it just became like, a, you know, it, it was like a pleasant surprise. But I won't lie. Like when I first saw it, I was like, well, you know, I hope that our music is weird enough for people to like, you know, if they don't like that. You know, then hopefully they'll look be able to look past that, especially like us putting out the uh, the like dead as shit music video being like a, a oh. cartoon and stuff, which which was really that video only happened because Century Media just wanted to like make a lyric video or something, and I was like, I really don't want a lyric video. And there's this band called uh, Shit Life that did a video with that guy Hall Hammer. Uh, they have a song called Rain and Bud. Yeah, you guys Hall should watch that video; it's fucking sweet. Hall Hammer's my dude. Uh, really? I, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. He's 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 fucking great. I love that guy. Uh, yeah, I've I've oh, known yeah. Phil for a long time, and uh, you know by by proxy, you you happen yeah. to be his twin brother. Um, so hey, but, Will, I got a question for you. Um, have you heard of this band called Gourmet? No. 
gore grind band dude no. so this shit no. so you gotta tell me where this sits on your silly factor <laughs> that uh, name is right in front of everybody's face and the, nobody's done silly it yeah, the, well, with the name with the name you're on the fence really, just wait okay it so really it depends what guy, they're doing they're from canada and I, I got to see this in person and i'm not gonna lie it, it's gonna sound funny but dude it was one of the most disturbing things i've ever seen at a show was it a so, dinner um, were they the guy the guy gets in a um uh, he gets in like long johns, like pure white long johns, and he puts on a chef's hat. And um, he he brings down a, a, a tray, like a uh, like Tupperware, like the biggest Tupperware you can buy, though. You know, like a, a big pan. Okay. And he just he just fills it with like fucking mayonnaise, ketchup, like <laughs> sausage, uh. sausage, like fucking uh, grits, like yeah. all sorts of shit. Mixes it all together. And then, like, when they start playing their songs, he's, he's sitting at a table, and he pulls the tray of food out, puts it on the table, and just looks at everyone with this crazy look in his eye, right? And then he starts singing, but he's not hes not being funny, dude. He is, like, shoveling food in his mouth and then doing pitch shifter gore grind vocals with, like, mic, like food getting all over the mic. Like, I, I remember he put, like a, grocery, like, like, a grocery bag over the mic, you know, so he wouldn't get the mic too dirty, but... Dude, he's just for 15 minutes eating food, wiping it all over himself, and then doing fucking nasty gore grind vocals. He even he even sits in the food and then like pulls the food out from his balls and starts eating it. <laughs> you know, he keeps going, dude. And uh, it's uh, we're gonna he does that every this. day on the I, board. I'm and then they hose him down after that. What I'm do you think? Is that silly? This. Are the riffs good? Not gonna review no. it. How are the riffs? It's I they're would... hard. They're hard as shit. They're they're cool mincecore band. Yeah, I'm into it. I I wouldn't say it's I wouldn't call that silly. You know, it actually reminds me a lot of um, Paulo Paguntalan when we had him on the second time or whatever time it was where he talked about cop premises and it was the in the hole with Paulo. Uh, His old band cop premises did something that involved uh, some sort of pornographic uh, transsexual Mm. scat show. On the stage, oh, wow. an outhouse got turned over. It was, I mean, like a, a porta potty. Some Gigi Allen shit. Yeah. yeah, something along those lines. And I didn't attend the show because I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, Here's I wouldn't the do thing. that. I'm yeah. not going to sit here and tell you, I don't know this band Gourmet. And based on what you just told me, it sounds more like it's performance art mixed with gore grind. Like, For sure, but do you think that would be like it fun would, to watch, or would you not go because of that? I would definitely not go because of that. <laughs> I would absolutely a hundred percent no, because like only because his food choice is kind of weird. Like, where's the well, steak? The waste Man. of food to me would be like the capital sin, and then yeah. like the, the dude, I just anything where people are like making a mess with food for art. Not yeah. my uh for not not my chosen. You know, cup yeah, of tea. I, I get it. Like, he, yeah, he I respect like, your opinion. On yeah, that. I do. Tom, we we were in a band before, uh, and we uh, we we played a couple of shows where you had somebody just making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to hand out. Yeah, we, <laughs> we had a no, very we had a very PG version of what. Yeah, you it was described. it was no waste at all. It was yeah. just like you might be hungry. Nah, we here's thought about a, that too. Here's, so a, cool. here's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Hey, yeah. The first thing with Sugabog shows, we were actually like gonna give out chili. But instead of that happening, people gave us chili. So, like, our first tour, we had, like, six bags of chili to eat. And we were like, all right, fuck the, yeah. g- the chili gimmick. You yeah. know? Y'all, need this, y'all need this sandwich, Sugabog, though. 
sandwich. Yeah, yeah. You need the, that's san- pretty good. the sandwich sugar bag. <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, sandwich sugar bag. <laughs> well, let me ask you something, Cody. Um, so you you shot down in Brooklyn uh, with trauma. Did you meet Lloyd Kaufman? No, because of COVID, he was being extra safe. His wife, he wanted to come, but his wife is like really worried about his health because he's an older guy. So he, he didn't end up coming. No. Uh, that's well. It's still pretty cool that they, you know, you teamed up with them and stuff. You know, there's uh, yeah, yeah, it's no, very, it's very fun. It is very cool, and uh, we're we're planning to do more um, because that 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 experience was just like that was like one of the best weeks of my life. It was just really a great time. Like like when we're doing the scene with the big dicks in the the classroom uh, place or the like, what whatever it is like um, in the I first music dicks. video. Yeah, in the mu- first music video, I'm tripping balls on acid, dude. Like <laughs> the most acid I've ever taken. And they they just there's a scene where you see us all like. Um, well, you see three of the guys like with, like sitting there, and everyone's dead on the floor. There's a reason there's only three of them there. <laughs> it's because I was causing too much of a commotion. Because uh, you know, I, I was like, I'm kind of new to acid. I like prefer mushrooms, but lately I've been preferring acid. So at that time, you know, I was just kind of having too much fun, being a distraction. You know, of course, well, man. It's hard to sit still on that stuff. Oh, yeah, I, I got a question, man. Um, right on that line of thinking, then. I wrote this down just while listening to your bands and and watching uh, uh, your videos and stuff, man. I mean, it's like I said before. I'm glad we got back around to it. You guys seem to be very upfront uh, about alleged uh, illicit drug use that goes on, psychedelics, that sort of thing. Uh, In your opinion, uh, are are psychedelics uh, the future of uh, casual counterculture the way cannabis is now with cannabis being legalized all over and being more uh everyday type of thing and in light of psychedelics uh slowly being recognized as a treatment for ptsd and depression um do you think that that uh and also with the opioid epidemic being what it is psychedelics maybe mushrooms being seen as something of a safer alternative i'm just saying with with marijuana becoming more normalized if 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 psychedelics are moving in the direction yeah, yeah. So, like, the, the reason I would say no to that is because, like, the, the nature of psychedelics. So, like, if you if you do mushrooms too much in a row, you either start losing your shit or it doesn't work. Like, your body literally breaks it down. And in that way, like, it's kind of hard to trip all the time. And in that way, it's like, you know, even if, unless you're tripping once a month, that would probably be, like, the most you can and, and like, really get a lot out of it. Now... Obviously, there's lots of people who are going to say, fuck that. I take mushrooms all the time or I take acid all the time. And, and that's cool. And I, you know, I, I know I know that you can do that, but it doesn't mean that it's going to like become mainstream in that way. Like just because you can abuse it like that or not even abuse it, but just because you can use it like that. Like I think microdosing is a good tool um, and you can do that on the daily. I don't necessarily think that the world will become like as friendly with acid and psychedelics as marijuana because you know with marijuana you can still like go to your job and shit i know there's people who can still trip and go to their job but it makes you question a lot of things you know and it makes you and you know not everyone has a good time on it so is it going to be you know is it going to be something that snowballs into an industry as big as marijuana i would say no but is it going to be as influential as marijuana in art i'm gonna say yes because it, all it takes is one time to do acid and then you that can influence you for a long time whereas you know with marijuana it's like 
it's nobody smokes pot once and then like all their art is shaped by pot you know what i mean but that does happen with acid and psychedelics and mushrooms and dude ketamine even was kind of fucking crazy so arguably uh all of the world's uh, religions were started based off of uh psychedelic experiences yeah you guys heard that uh santa claus is a mushroom and jesus christ was a mushroom you guys know about that right yeah well we we already mentioned that we all only listen to joe rogan and heavy hole podcast (laughs) yeah right (laughs) we're all talking about it's what graham norton is the guy right uh yeah uh graham norton uh, paul Paul stan yeah we we're all on this i I, now we're all here i uh, i have a book called santa uh santa soul's Rooms. It's a kids' uh, illustrated book about the uh, the origins of um, the, that that delicious, uh, very poisonous uh, white and red mushroom. That, uh, that Amanita is, uh, muscaria. There yeah. you go, buddy. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm 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 dealing with uh, the uh, Modelo uh, strain <laughs> of alcohol right now. So sick. So the uh, I like Modelo. The terminology is <laughs> a little fuzzy to me, but but yeah, we're all on the we're on the same page of um, the. Uh, the, the fungal origins of a lot of our societal uh, norms and whatnot. So, yeah, man, like uh, I will say that, like, you know, as being a drug forward band, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say now that I don't think drugs are for everyone and I'm not going to like talk shit on straight edge. I think straight edge is really good for some people. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, it's not, it's not that mm-hmm. we want everyone to do drugs and you're stupid if you don't do drugs. It's more of just like, we want to help demystify it, make it less scary make it more less stigmatized and make it more uh interesting maybe more influential maybe entice you to maybe want to try some of those things because they really shaped us individually and they obviously shaped the band you know a lot of like uh, the, t- the title track tortured hole um a lot of those riffs were written after a dmt trip i believe um so yeah, like we really, we really do enjoy that kind of thing. It's a, it's, it's a, a way that we like that fun. That you know, kind of, I don't know. It, it, it after a good night, like uh, I just recorded sarcophagus, and like we took some mushrooms and just talked about shit. You know, we didn't even party. We were just talking about shit. And you know, the conversations we have on mushrooms, I can guarantee you, are different than the conversations we'll have on weed. Like I'm just, I'm just telling you. you now I can't explain that to you without getting into it but you know for anyone out listening out there who's not into drugs like you can be it like you can do your normal thing and take psychedelics and get something out of it you don't have to become a party animal you don't have to lose your shit you know what i mean you don't have to go crazy like there is a place where it really is character building and um it's also just you know fun so it's like single sukabog's fun we like taking drugs and we want to make that cool again you know because i really feel like i really do feel like drugs has been kind of taken away from rock and roll a little bit you know especially with all i don't know like everyone having problems with it you know well Uh, i think uh the opioid epidemic is a big big part to do with that right now it's funny because it seems like with mainstream hip-hop and even uh pop music you can talk about popping pills all you want mm -hmm. um uh and percocets and zannies and whatever the hell else goes on uh, but, but yeah, in, in rock and roll, it's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you don't want to talk about it, but, but yeah, with the opioid epidemic going on, I would be, um, relieved if people I knew, uh, started doing shrooms and weed instead of opioids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it, for it, anyone who does need help with opioids, I, I recommend create, uh, Kratom, Kratom. Now I'm not going to act like I'm a doctor. Don't use my advice, but I have heard that it's really good. I've used it before. It's not very addictive, in my opinion, but um, 
Yeah, it's, it's just like it's an alternative that it hits your opioid receptors, but it doesn't glue to them. So it kind of makes all the excess you take like shoot off. It kind of bounces off your receptors. So you can't overdose on it and you can't like it doesn't matter how much you take. You'll end up shitting half of it out because you're the way it bonds your receptor is different. But it's it's like been used in Malaysia for like two, three thousand years or something like that. You know, if anyone is interested i would check it out because uh, i guess it works you know? I, i've never even heard of that um, yeah you should check it out that dude hamilton morris um talks about it a lot mm. and um there's some other like there's like a i think it's called a leaf to a leaf to hope it's a documentary on netflix about po- uh, power lifters who take too much opioids and how they can get off of them and kratom's been working for a lot of people you can buy it at the smoke shop it's legal for most states um and yeah it's it, it tastes like shit and it's not it's not really a party drug it's just something that is like like a lot of my friends take it to like go to work and you know get through the day it's it's kind of an upper but if you take too much of it it becomes like a downer where you just like want to lay down but that's cool. all. something it's something to look into for anyone who has problems because that is what it's used for it's used for getting off the of heroin and shit like that very interesting wow. um i want to pick it back off of this uh this um uh mind altering drug movement uh, yeah. With with my next band, which is going to feature all lyrical content based off the industrial uses of uh, cannabis and uh, and fungal. You know, the, there's a lot of uh, technology uh, coming forward with um, uh, mushroom leather. You know, using uh, different strains huh. of mycelium or uh, uh, industrial hemp. You know, making paper and hempcrete and all this kind of stuff. Sure. So we, we really need a 360 approach to normalizing these uh, these organic substances. That, uh, yeah, mm, for not sure. only alter your brain, but uh, could also uh, lead to a more sustainable future. Yeah. Oh yeah. Have you guys heard of Lion's Mane? You guys are talking about Paul Stamets. Yeah. So dude. maybe you've heard of Lion's Mane. Yep. That yep. shit works. That Lion's shit's Mane, really good. Turkey tail, all that shit. Yeah, yeah. Lion's Mane, particularly, it's really interesting. It's like you guys ever seen that movie Limitless? I've heard of it. I know there's like it, a show based on it, but it's like you take the drug and it bumps up your IQ or something, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, so I've, a, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah, so like in a very preschool way, that's what it does. It, it It's like a medicinal mushroom. It doesn't mm-hmm. fuck you up. And uh, you can take capsules or you can buy it at the local food store. Like people like to like uh, cook it and use it as a meat substitute. But um, yeah, it, it basically just allows you to kind of like what it does is it regenerates the myelin on your neurons. Now, I'm just like quoting what I've heard. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> that's what it does. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. So, so apparently it like uh, makes the connections of your neurons a little easier, a little more solid. And it, it really is like, you guys ever heard of alpha brain? Uh, yeah, the, on, the honest stuff. I actually have some of the Stamets uh, uh, lines, man. Uh, in, my, yeah, yeah. In, my, in my cupboard right now, we can all take it together. It'd be fun. Hell yeah. Yeah, it to me does what that drug is supposed to do, but Alpha Brain for me just made me sick. It, but Lion's Mane really does make you like able to formulate sentences better and yeah. like you know be on your shit. Huh. Yeah, Alpha Male just made me. I mean, Alpha Alpha Brain just made me uh, poor. It made me very uh, hot. <laughs> I, I was very sweaty. As you can yeah. see, as you can, uh, as you guys know, I haven't been taking my lines main because I am uh, terrible <laughs> at formulating sentences. So you guys, you know, as soon as the allegations came out about Brian Callen, I stopped taking my alpha brain. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, there it is. 
Wow, there, a lot there. Um, a lot, I'm glad we got into that a little bit because we had a little bit more of a, um, a lofty conversation than I thought we would. Now, uh, so now let's go to the gutter. Um, uh, the, now, I, I don't want to throw anything too far out there, but you said yourself, uh, you know, when the band started doing your first tour, you make on merch a night, you, you know, things are going okay. Uh, and, and you uh, alluded to the band allegedly uh, buying drugs. Maybe. <laughs> did, did, did you go to Las Vegas? Yes. Can you tell us anything or did it all stay there? Uh, it's got to stay there, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. no, I, will, I will say this. like um, at the, When we went to the Gentleman's Club, um, I, I ended up being i found myself in a position where i wanted to leave and nobody else did so i had to like walk home walk back to the hotel so that night didn't end as good as it does for everyone you know so um it it was a good time but you know we did more drugs on the other days to be honest i think that was more of a blow money day wow yeah well that's where you do it las vegas right so well i mean the pandemic obviously knocked a lot of your touring plans out, um, you know, in the timeline where you guys started blowing up. But when you were out there on the road, I mean, were you were you guys really uh, uh, living up to that, um, as you said, drug forward uh, um, uh, aspect of the band when you were out on the road? Was it hard to come by uh, in some places? Well, um, OK, so like. You know, we usually come prepared, but there's some things you can't prepare for. So, like, um, I remember, like, on our second tour, we actually brought, like, we had this, like, okay, I don't, I don't want to give it away because I feel like it's a really useful tool, and I don't want to prevent anyone from having it. But yeah, don't give up game because then they're gonna say that I, they're, they're gonna say I'm like Vlad TV and I'm a fed. Or something. Yeah, 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 fuck yeah. that. Uh, but basically, we figured out a way to have, you know, to have some more shit without it being very obvious. So we had like a gram of DMT, we had like a half of mushrooms, and we had, you know, an ounce of weed. And there's no point in bringing a ton of weed because you can just buy it wherever you're at. And if you need to like hide it or get rid of it really quick, it's easier to just smoke it as you go rather than bring like a pound or something, you know. But So, yeah. so I've heard. So I've, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard that you're absolutely right. Yeah, so, it, I mean, you just, you know... You, you really are worried about getting pulled over and stuff. I remember in Kentucky, like our second day, we had all that shit and I got, oh, I'm driving, we get pulled over and it was like one of the coolest cops I've ever talked to. He was like, you guys are in a band, you know? And we told him the real band name and you know, he was just having laughs with us. So, you know, you do okay. get lucky. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as were we partying all the time, fuck yeah, we were, you know? And, um, there was this one night, like before St. Vitus, our first St. Vitus show, I don't know if you guys went to that one. You said you went to the Vomit Fourth one. It was not that one. It was yeah, a different no, one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the second one I went to. Okay, well, the one you did not go to, um, the night before, we were hanging out with Sever Red Records, Barrett. And, um, yeah, yeah, shout out to Barrett. Yeah, and um, we we were at his house, and we were a lot of us were trying to sleep, but like Devin and Cameron stayed up and took a bunch of acid. And huh, huh. Um, I think the drummer of like Psyopus was there or something wow. like that. Um, but... Um, yeah, that's a guy yeah so guys. like they they stayed up all night doing acid right and then like the next day this is like pre-covid but you know how everyone's like yeah in october i feel like i had it already or in november yeah, you know what i mean yeah. that's kind of what we were going through we were sick as fuck you know but Devin and 
Cameron have they're they're bigger guys. They have the ability to kind of like swallow that sickness and keep partying. I'm pretty thin and frail, so I can't do that. So, <laughs> so I was sick as fuck, and I had to drive for nine hours from Barrett's house to St. Vitus. And during that drive, it was like the most miserable nine hours of my life because like Steve to my right in the drive in the passenger seat, he's sicker than a dog. He wants to go home. He is not interested in continuing. And um, we're just, you know, trying to ignore him kind of because we don't want to fucking stop, you know. And um, then I got Cameron and Devin giggling their ass off because they haven't slept at all. And they're still tripping. And at some point they fall asleep. And I like, you know, hit the bumpers in the highway and fucking Devin gets up. He's like, what's happening? You know, and he's tripping still. <laughs> so he's like freaking out. He's like, calm down, you know. And I'm like, dude, I'm fine. Like, I just hit the, the, the slowdown thing, you know. But, um. Yeah, so like that night, we're sick as fuck. We get to the venue, and Steve's like, hey guys, I gotta go home. I'm gonna take a Greyhound and go home. And we're like, ah, fuck, you know, that sucks. But Mutilatriad had a uh, ABY pedal and like a, they had like an octave pedal. So that, for that first show, we just ended up um, routing the amp to like, like the guitar to the bass amp with an octave down. And that's why like, our first St. Bodies video on YouTube is that way, you know. And that, that night, obviously, like, was a killer night and really made us all feel a little bit better especially having people like you know i've never played in new york really before so like that first show at st vitus was the first time i felt like a fucking cool band you know like there's people there going Sangwasuga bog you know and as we're setting up and it's like we've only had the album out for a few months so i'm like damn this is like interesting this is wild and then people are like moshing harder than i see a hardcore shows and you know and i'm just like damn new york knows what the fuck's up yeah. this is sick you know and, uh, you know, we ended up getting better, but yeah, I guess Steve needed to go home and see the doctor to feel better. And luckily he's fine now, you know? Good, good. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been, uh, very far away from home on tour and, uh, under the weather. It's not fun, man. I'm not. Yeah. And doing drugs makes it worse. It makes it easier to stay sick. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's definitely not a good idea if you're trying to stay healthy, but you know, yeah. we, we were just jazzed, you know, and. So moving on from that, then, uh, you know, I, I don't want to let the interview go without covering the fact that in addition to playing drums for Sanguasugabog and all the music you've been involved in, you do your share of producing, recording, mixing and mastering for many bands. Yeah, I'm really happy about that. That was like one of those things where like, uh, you know, uh, it's like I, I can't wait until I'm a producer. I can't wait until I'm recording bands. And then like five years go by and you're like, damn, I've recorded like 80 albums that aren't my own, you know, or not recorded, but like mixed, worked on in some way, some fashion, you know? Yeah. Um, I got into recording because I wasn't happy with like my experiences. Like the only recording experiences I had was like that deathcore shit. And they wanted me to like, you know, I prided myself as a guitar player. And then, like, I'm, like, trying to play sweeps, and the dude's like, uh, I want you to play every note, and I'm going to edit it so it sounds clean. And I was like, no, <laughs> fuck that, you know? So there's times when I won that argument, there's times when he won that argument. <laughs> so there's definitely there's definitely some, like, super hyper-edited shit in that old Otis Foot EP. And, um, yeah, like, I just was turned off by that. And, you know, I was really into Kurt Ballou's, uh production style. Like, yeah. Karina mm -hmm. is, like me trying so hard to actually sound like Magruder grind or something, you know, like that, that yellow album that he produced, it just sounds so fucking good. And, you know, I, I, I attribute a lot of that to why like pornographic seizures sounds the way it does is because I kind of worshiped Kurt Ballou's production for a long time. 
Black Breath and uh, those kind of bands. Like, was really into. So, um, so yeah, I've been I've been recording my own stuff for like five or six years now, and you know, it just so happened to be that um, when we did Pornographic Seizures, I felt comfortable enough to do our album. So, like, we I got a friend in Dayton named Sean O'Shaughnessy. He works out of Encore Studios in Dayton, Ohio. He's got a really beautiful room. He's got way more mics than I do. And so I've been taking like everything to him. Like anytime a band comes with me, I usually have them record at Sean's, any of my bands that I've done that I think is like, besides like Petrid Stew, but like anything that's like really, I think it's like really good. I want to get the best sound, so I'll go to him. But just recently with my single Sugabog money, I've been buying my interface. I've been buying drum mics. So like the sarcophagus uh, full length that we just recorded was actually here in my room and that's pretty fucking cool it's a it's a cool come up i get to make more money doing it now that i don't have to pay a drum guy and stuff you know i, I don't have the big room but uh, i got like those like school like uh the like uh i don't know what you call them the like ceilings that have drop ceilings that have like the the white squares that you see at schools and office buildings you know so that that helps kind of like um take reflections away without it like treat my room too much or anything like that but um yeah, I mean, I'm really proud of what I do with Fix My Face. I think, um, I think like people charge too much for recordings, and I also think there's not enough people not fixing recordings. So what I really set out to do is kind of be like that mid-level job, you know. And like, now I'm not saying I can't do a super hi-fi job, um, but if you want me to fix your drums, then don't come to me because that's not what I like to do. Um, you know, I, I pride myself as a musician first, and I record because I want to be heard the way I want to be heard it's not because I wanted to be a really good recording engineer it's because I want my music to sound the way I hear it in my head so when I got into recording other bands you know I didn't fix everyone's stuff and I think a lot of people don't come back to me because of that because they don't realize that like what you're hearing back is really like 35% of you especially if you're the drummer um, now I, I do think like recording edits aren't as popular as they were when I first started recording but yeah, that's just something that I don't really like uh, aesthetically. I do like kick triggers, but I'm not gonna like fix your hits. Like if you're not, huh. if you're like, you know, if your 30 second notes are a little off, I'm not gonna fix them. It's it's out of laziness, but it's also because I want you to go home and reevaluate what your priorities are. You know, it's like, it, and I know that sounds tough or whatever, or kind of like, you know, I feel like a dick saying that, but it really no, is like, no, it really not. is to me like, are you a musician or are you having fun? And if you're having fun then don't fucking bitch when your shit sounds so bad. Just go to the guy who can fix it. You know what I mean? This, like this go to is, that guy. There's millions of those guys. Will's know? popping up right now. Yeah, we like this. I, this I agree good. 100%, man. And we just did, um, for the Patreon people, we do bonus episodes, and we did one. We do one a month now where I vent, and I just bitch about everything that pisses me off. And mm-hmm. I, talk, I talk about the fun. The, I talk about fun and gore grind and how much I, <laughs> it bothers me. Sorry. I like I like. <laughs> Like I specifically talk about people that have fun and how I don't like them because they're no I, I'm I'm I just kidding it. I'm just kidding but no, um, cool. one of the things I touched on uh, the most recent episode that we recorded was mm. these like people that 
um, play underground metal or grind or something really raw and have this like weird expectation that the commercial music industry owes them a record deal or something, you know? And, and, and it's, and, and a lot of the time it's always these people that when they get an independent deal for like a small, you know, press up a thousand CDs and we'll give you a percentage or some small indie label deal, they feel like they're entitled to more. And a lot of times it's those same people that like want the producer to fix all the, the kick drum hits. And fix yeah, the double man. bass. You know what I mean? And make sure this. Yeah, I get, I get people sending me the record to mix, and they actually want me to edit it. And it's like oh. I don't want to fucking, I don't want to edit your shit. You know, like send it to me the way it should be. You know, and um, you know, if if they need edits, I will do it. You know, I, I, it's not like yeah. I won't edit. Like if you got some feedback in a part you don't like, or if your vocals are a little off, especially vocals like. Like pushing a nudging a vocal is like no yeah. fucking big deal to me at all. But you know, like, but like you know, punching in every word, I don't want to fucking do that. I can hear your breath, like your breathing. It doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> you know, punching in every note, I don't like doing that. Um, you know, if you need to go part by part to get clean for guitars or drums, that's okay with me. But you know, with drum editing, like I don't ever, I don't ever fix hits. So like if there's like a drum edit where you want to come back in, then I usually make you play the part before it so that when you do hit the part you're trying to get, I'll have a seamless edit so that nobody yeah. knows. I don't want people to know that we fixed your shit, you know? Oh my god, dude, no, it even like I'm really trying hard not to blow up spots right now, but there's <laughs> there's a blow band. them up, dude. I don't dude, care. Dude, there's a band I there's a band I know and they were talking about going with a different producer than the producer they always use. And I pointed out, not every producer is going to meticulously fix your drummer's drums and every mm-hmm. like kick drum hit and all the double bass and all the yeah. blast beats and make them sound like this guy actually practices when he doesn't practice. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was like a dawning realization on these guys that they couldn't shop around for different producers because not every producer is going to do that. Like, like, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, I was like, dude, if you guys go to, you know, uh, you know, you know, John Doe producer. I was, you know, we were talking about local guys. I don't want to bring names into it, but I was like, that's not what so-and-so does. I was like, people go yeah. to the studio with that guy able to play their parts. Like you're like the reason that the guy that you go to fixes all those drum hits is because he knows the drummer and he's nice enough to do it. You know, like that's not uh, uh, written into the to the producer's job. You know. Yeah, man, absolutely. And and you know, like I think like I think that's the reason why I don't have like a bigger name as a producer as I do now is because of that. You know, because like there's not a lot of bands. For one, I haven't worked on super famous bands stuff, but also like. There's not a lot of bands whose shit that, like, I, I don't know, like, I haven't influenced anyone's idea of, like, what production is because what my idea of production is is not this, like, hyper-fixed sound, you know? Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to say that I think, like, if I did fix people's music, I would have a lot more work, you know what I mean? So yeah, I can you see, would, yeah. I can see why those guys do that, you know, especially when they see it as a musical pursuit. But for me, it's, like more of an artistic pursuit and even though i'm like really happy to pay some of my bills with recording stuff um you know i'm not gonna start i'm not gonna throw away my dignity and my pers- like my view of recording just to make that extra buck you know that's really not at least i don't want to do that you know i've well, i've i've had to do that before when i first started you know but you know like programming drums or like i've even played bands parts for them before oh god but but it's it's definitely like you know now i'm just kind of like nope like this is what you get you know and um 
Maybe you want to like edit this out, but just to give you guys a real life story, like, uh, do you guys know Livid? I really don't want them to hear this. I just want you to tell you guys that. I, I don't know the band, no. With Fix My Face, usually though, if a band wants me to like, if a band wants to tell me what they want to sound like though, I'm really like receptive of that because I think it's really cool to see production styles as like an art form. So, um, I feel like that's something I'm kind of good at is like, uh, listening to a, like an album, like your favorite album, and then making your album kind of have like at- attributes of your favorite album so that when you hear it back, it sounds more like you did in your head. Cause you know, I'm not gonna lie. I get, I get influenced by hearing a band kill it. And then I want to make something similar. So it's like, I want to get, sometimes I want to get the tone just like that. And then I make everything else different, but like that tone, I want to be literally a ripoff of what I'm huh. into, you know what I mean? And, and I think that's like something that not a lot of producers offer. And, um, you know, like I said, because I don't fix stuff, um, I'm on the cheaper end. So like, you know, just to plug myself a little bit, if anyone needs that like middle guy, you know, like pay what you want. But, you know, I'll definitely say no, if you're not going to pay me enough, but I definitely work with all my bands and, you know, the most I've ever been paid. And that's been for like a full album, you know, and, and I don't think people realize that like, you know, $800 is going to get you two songs, especially with those guys who fix every fucking yeah, you know you're, you're undercharging brother yeah you you gotta up that like a lot and well I, w- I will when people you know i will when people see me as like a better producer you know but i feel like right now i'm still in that like underground stage where it's like you know i, I still feel like i don't even have like my shit figured out either you know where it's like I, I mean i get a lot of people cody let me tell you something i'm an audio engineer by trade you're always gonna feel that way yeah. Start bumping <laughs> your rate up slowly. Like, don't okay. settle. I'm serious. Like, very. I, hear you. I definitely like. Uh, I definitely lowball grinders because they don't care that much, you know. So I can I can literally spend 45 minutes on their shit and like them pay me 60 bucks and it's not a big deal. You know what I mean? For sure. 45, 60 bucks in 45 minutes is cool to me. But yeah, no, I I agree that you know I want to make that that jump soon but um, there's no jump there's a quantifiable time where you're going to feel better i'm just saying slowly ramp up your shit if you want to do it if you want to be serious about your your audio stuff yeah well i appreciate it i definitely think that um the most like you know i i get more people working with me because they like my band stuff Mm -hmm. and that's like a really big compliment to me because that's like why i do it i do it to make my shit sound the way i want it to sound you know so it's it's cool that that can speak to some people and they feel confident enough that i'm gonna help give them what they want to and that like i said that's why i asked for a lot of reference albums and for you to be like you know i I don't i don't want to spend too much time on that but like you know if you if you're telling me like i want the guitar tone of this album the bass tone of this album the drums of this album the snare of this album i'm probably not going to do it but if you can be like this album on all fronts is kind of what i'm going for then you're going to get something kind of close to that you know and i think that's like i said I i don't think you can find that very many other places Good, yeah, that's a, that's a legit way to look at it. And that's uh, Fix My Face Studio, um, and you also have a Fix My Face. Uh, what do you have? A store envy where you sell um, uh, CDs and random things? Yeah, I got a big cartel. Basically, big when cartel, I did Fix yeah. My Face, um, that was like my screen name for a long time. Um, it, it's a Dillinger Escape Plan spinoff. There's a band. There's a song called Fix Your Face. And um, my screen name forever was Fix My Face. So I just decided to stick with it. And I put records there because, like, what do I do? I make records. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's Absolutely. like whether whether I'm selling my cassettes 
or mixing your album or putting out my own shit. I just felt like that was a pretty universal term. So yeah, Fix My Face Records. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, my If you want to email me, it's fixmyfacenow at gmail.com. I already get a bunch of like junk mail, so I'm not that worried about giving that one out. But um, yeah, hit me up, you know. Okay, and um, you know, Cody, like we always say, uh, on the on the podcast, uh, before we wrap up, we want to ask our guests to recommend one older and one newer album by any artist. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna for my new for the new album, and it's not that new; it's just like a few years old. Um, it's this gore grind record called Idiopathic Pulmonary Fibrosis by the band Pulmonary Fibrosis. Okay. They're, they're from France. Yes. I saw them live with Viscera Infest. I think that's how you say it. Viscera. Yes. The Japan, Japan, uh, Japanese band. Yes. Yeah. I saw them in Dayton. They blew, fucking blew me away. And they're like one of my favorite gore grind acts ever. They just, they just really hit it for me. Um, yeah, so I, I, uh, I saw them on that same tour probably. It was like two years ago or so. Yeah, yeah. They came to uh, St. Vitus, actually, and, and uh, nice guys, too. I met the guys in pulmonary fibrosis just that, now that you mention it. Cool, cool Fuck guys, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah um, dude. One of the guys in pulmonary fibrosis, his name's Pierre uh, de Palms, I think. Uh, I probably fucked that up. I'm sorry. But uh, he does all their art for Murder Man. Um, he's really fucking cool, and he's, his art's really fucking sick. Uh, I'm th- yeah, I'm, th- I'm thinking Sublime Cadaveric Decomposition is another great French grindcore band. Mm. So either way, yeah. uh, the French uh, 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 excellent and world-renowned grindsters, and you got to check out that pulmonary fibrosis. But what, um, Cody, you still owe us a classic old-school recommendation. Yeah, okay. So this one, um, this one's going to be a prog thing for prog heads. Um, it's, it's a band called the Dixie Dregs. And I think the album's called What If. And there's a song on there called Odyssey. And it's one of the coolest songs I've ever heard. So I want you guys to check that out. Dixie Dregs. I got to look at the... Uh, look, yeah. Look right next if to you go on Dixie Spotify, in my record collection. Sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, if you, if you go on Spotify, look up Dixie Dregs. It's like D-I-X-I-Y-I-E, I think. And there's two Gs. Um, but yeah, the, the album art's like red. But yeah, they're just like a really old school prog rock band. And that song, Odyssey, is really interesting. It's like, it's got fucking like violin and super just, it's like a prog dream for me. It's just like technical, but beautiful. And it, it it's like a story. It's like a movie. I don't know. I, I love it. Wow. Awesome. All right. So Dixie Dregs. And what was the album? Uh, it's called What If, and particularly the song Odyssey. I think okay. it's an instrumental song, but it's got this beautiful violin solo, and it's just it's just incredible. If if you were to hear like a like a Cody Davidson band, where I actually do what I want to do all in one band <laughs> instead of making a million bands, it would be something like that. And that's kind of why I do side projects, is because I know that if I do something, it's just going to be some weird prog shit that probably nobody cares about. I, I wouldn't go that. We're still waiting for your your solo album. Uh, Hell yeah! You ever ever by any chance hear of an old school band, Inner Strength, from out here in Long Island, New York? No, but I'll write it's it down. Good recommendation. I would absolutely recommend because you talk about all this prog. You talked about your background with Dream Theater, who are uh, famously from Long Island, New York. Right. Inner Strength was a band from the '90s that, in my perception, was a little bit overshadowed by Dream Theater, but they uh, Inner Strength did that progressive 
uh, mixing different genres in kind of uh, uh, thing, but with a much harder angle. They were a little bit more rooted in thrash. So, uh, Cody Davidson, uh, drummer of Sanguisugabag, uh, multi-instrumentalist and producer, uh, mixer and masterer through Fix My Face Studio. We talked to you about that. We appreciate all of your candor tonight um, and talking to us. And we do have to mention that, of course, the Tortured Hole full-length album by Sanguisugabag should be out on Century Media Records uh, March 26th. So that should be either by the time this interview is out or shortly afterwards. Hell yeah, and uh, real quick, while I got you, I'm going to plug some other stuff. Me and Devin from Sangasugabog, we got a uh, grindcore outfit called Skag that's coming out. We just put out like two songs, but um, we're working on an EP. That shit's, I'm really excited about it. There's some like Messerin vibes, some Mortician vibes, some like, I don't know, j- there's even a little bit of Jinko in there. Mm. So, you know, maybe... Maybe somebody who's interested in that would be, uh, you know, want to check that out. I got this thing called Death Fetish I'm doing that is um, kind of like my version of like if Cody was a maggot stomp band, but also like, I don't know, I'm getting into more grindcore and shit. But and then like on the math side, I got this band called Shinjuku. That's really interesting. It's kind of like it's kind of like a car bomb and Meshuga a little bit, but we have some like new metal influences and it's kind of all over the place. It's definitely the most like, uh, it's it's the most like uh, eccentric band I'm doing right now. But yeah, that's shit. Murder Man featured Stu. Murder Man's like us trying to do like Fetopsy shit mixed with Brodequin, mixed with Orchidectomy. And I know you guys have had John Ingman on, so I wanted to just put that in there. You know, I fucking love Fetopsy, and I think that shit's cool and. That interview with John Ingman's really what made me want to do this with you guys, so I, I appreciate it. Well, yeah, shout, and shout, we appreciate you, and uh, shout to John Ingman. Um, people can go back and look up. That was an interesting episode because he goes through uh, the injuries he sustained. Yeah, um, man, playing extreme drums and uh, the the kind of uh, adaptation he he um, he made to deal with those injuries uh, electronically. I won't give away all the mystery, but that was For sure. we were glad to interview him and get that story, and we're glad to get your story. Um, not just because of the drugs, uh, you know, <laughs> all the other stuff too was interesting. Uh, cool. So. Yeah, but um, again, like we said, that Sanguasugabag album's coming out. Putrid Stew uh, amidst an anal, anal Jessica assembly is the new Putrid <laughs> Stew album. I had to say that. In my, I had to say that in my plug voice. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we're going to keep our eyes on you, brother. Uh, we appreciate you. And uh, congratulations. Um, you know, getting signed to Century Media Records in a brutal, guttural death metal band this day and age. Uh, it's a good look. Uh, fuck the haters. A lot of people out there probably jealous. They're probably 10 years, 15 years older than you. Didn't put in as much work. Wah, wah. You know, whatever, man. And and you know what? Uh, anyone who begrudges any underground band selling any quantity of T-shirts and designs, uh, you can also go fuck yourself. It's pandemic. Yeah. People can't For get those them. guys, we got a song per shirt. Not kidding. Dude, you know what, man? I mean, even <laughs> even before... Per shirt per song, sorry. <laughs> dude, you could have 10 shirts per song. Before the pandemic, it was like, you know, we're, we're making less and less money for um, record sales and things like that. Le- uh, uh, less and less um, uh, money at the shows. The prom- there's For every good promoter, there's five promoters trying to screw bands. Um, so shout out to all the good promoters, because I don't want to give the impression that all promoters and all venues are scumbags, but there's a lot of bad ones out there. 
And, and it's like my thing was like the merch table is the last saving grace of these bands. Make make weed grinders, make book bags, oh, yeah, make whatever dude, I mean- you, make, make a bunch of shirts, man. And now with coronavirus, it's only more important because that's your only way to, to make funds for the band. And people want to begrudge you that. It's stupid. Yeah, and they don't understand that, like, you know, the the main reason we did that is because we were buying 20 to 50 shirts at a time. It's not like we're buying 400 shirts and then, like, of every design, you know? It's like you buy 20 or 30, you sell them all, and then you want to make more. It's like, why do we want to keep making the same design, you know? So it's like we just ended up making a bunch of shit, you know? It's like it's not – it was on accident. It's not like we were like, we're going to be a merch core band, you know? But now it's like – a symbol of our success so of course we're gonna fucking rock it you know yeah man yeah well you know don't let the haters uh um uh put you down for man fuck them so uh yeah that's something i kind of forgot to bring into the interview so i just wanted to bring it up right there um <laughs> uh, but also since i say it, you got to start making more 4x uh uh for those for those bad boys uh now hey that I, I got you i got some murder man sweats if uh, you guys are big boys that i got like large xl 2x and 3x wow Okay, the three X. Um, awesome three X yeah. sweats. Yeah, we're, we're gonna talk uh, off air. Okay? Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, right. a, I'm okay. a skinny boy, but I like to be comfortable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's what the Genco jeans are for. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm wearing them right now. I wish we were skiing. <laughs> I just bought a headless guitar, so I need big clothes. I, I'm I'm wearing I'm wearing Perry Ellis uh, in tribute to Big Punisher. Uh, so. So, <laughs> C- Cody Davidson from Sanguasugabog, uh, thank you so much, brother, for your time. We appreciate you, man. It's been a, it's been great talking to you, great conversation, and we hope to uh, catch you live uh, eventually. Oh, yeah, yeah right, we, we want to see you. We want to bother you. Yeah, That's what yeah please, yes. please come do drugs allegedly with me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes, well, we're, well, yeah, that'll be a podcast to record. All right, brother, we'll we'll be in touch with you as the episode goes up, man. Thank you very much. All right, see y'all. Later. Thank you very much to Cody Davidson from Sanguasugabog. We appreciate him. Also of uh, Fix Your Face Records and Fix Your Face uh, Studio. He does a lot, of, a lot of the old mixing and mastering. But don't ask him to fix those drums. No. All right? Not to work on Yeah, you drummer's spending too much time drinking tequila out of an old Gatorade bottle. He can't, can't afford to do a paradiddle uh, once in a while. Yeah, He's not going to go to the studio and fix it with Cody Davidson, buddy. He's a nice guy, but he's not that nice. He's, he's yeah. not even that nice. Drummers, dr- a lot of drummers are assholes. <laughs> Cody, Dave- Cody Davidson, nice guy. I'm not saying he's all actually of them- a guitar player at heart. So yeah, that's yeah well, there you go. That's why we there relate. you go. We Look, I'm all I'm saying, and this is not a hard, fast rule. It's an observation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've met a lot of wonderful death metal drummers who are pleasant people, polite, uh, good-natured people that I love. I've also met a lot of total arrogant assholes who play. There's something. There's there's a strain of drummer out there. Okay. Uh, so, so that yeah. man that we're hypothetically talking about with yeah. the Gatorade bottle full of tequila, can't practice drums, not a nice person. Mm-hmm. Cody Davidson, great person. Uh, the new Sanguasugabog. Fuck. Forgot the name of that. Uh, tortured. Hole. Tortured. Uh, 
uh, capital W H uh, O. It's those drugs. We're going to leave that in. We That's won't right. even edit it out just because you guys see how drugs will destroy your mind like they destroyed Big mm-hmm. Will's mind. Sanguasugabog. Tortured Hole is the full-length album coming out 326 on Century Media Records. Should be out by now if you hear this or within a few days of this interview dropping, man. So uh, shout to him. Uh, we talked to him for a long time. We had a, a very detailed conversation. We learned that most of what happens in Vegas does stay there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also our recommendations are going to be staying there tonight, too, because we recommended you some uh, fine music that he's recorded and produced. We got the stories out of him. And... Um, be honest, I gotta get I get going. I, I I gotta go home. It is very late. It's enough. This yeah. is a long one, so we yeah. appreciate you chilling. Yeah, I gotta. I'm I'm gonna order Taco Bell uh, through uh, an app right now. Nice. Yeah, do you want to do? Re- do you want to just say the name of the recommendation? <laughs> I'm gonna say the name of my recommendation, which is Patreon.com/slash Heavy Hole Podcast. That's what I recommend you visit if you haven't been there. Yeah. Another thing to think about is going to our heavyholepodcast.com, which is a website in which you can find all of our items, which are links, RSS feeds, also merchandise. Is that correct, Justin? Yeah, that's very correct, Tom. Uh, I'm glad you said that. I'll piggyback off of what you're saying. I, uh, I will, too, uh, recommend internet access uh, to get to heavyholepodcast.com. Uh, why don't you just put the slash, slash shop in there and then uh, pick up a beautiful piece of merchandise, uh, a patch, a T-shirt, um, uh, you know, add, click add to cart, uh, go to checkout, type in the promo code. Yeah. Fake joke bands. Huh. One word, all caps. Um, if you got it, uh, type it in all caps. Not a lot of keyboards have uh, cap locks. Not a lot of people know that, but some of them do. And if you do, fake joke bands, get 7% off. The bands might be a joke, but we're serious. So visit us. That's right. Yeah, and uh, you go to the little Patreon. We got bonus episodes for you. Sometimes we let you ask questions for the... uh, Good thing we didn't do that tonight. We would have gone way over. It would have been like a five-hour interview. But yeah, every once in a while, we'll let you know who's coming up on the podcast, and we'll shout you out. You can ask your own questions uh, there on the Patreon, and we'll work it into the interview. Um, And uh, yeah, bonus episode. We just recorded a bonus episode. There's bonus... Sometimes I complain. Sometimes I don't like something, and I just talk about it for a long time, and the guys record me, and they put it up for... Patreon, it happens, you know, so that's it, man. So shout out to Cody Davidson and the boys in Sanguasugabog. Fuck the haters. Buy all 37 t-shirt designs. Yeah, dude, get uh, it. Yeah, and the weed grain, weed grinder and all that sort of thing, man. Uh, we got to get on that, though, because how many t-shirt designs yeah, do we fuck, have? Yeah, I only got one. <laughs>